welcome to the Appreciating Time podcast on Fifth Thrift Radio. I'm Michael Woods and my co-host tonight is John Cowley. How are you, John? I'm great, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, good. We've been, um, tonight we're speaking to uh, a, a very special guest. I know we say that a lot but on Fifth Thrift, but this one, is, uh, this one is special. He's um, a great friend of mine. He's been a friend since 2004 we met way back at, uh, at Wostep in Neuchatel and we studied alongside each other in the, the refresher course. So, um, yeah. So without further ado, let me introduce Henrik Coppella. How are you, Henrik? I'm very well, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me on also uh, for you, John. Um, yeah, I'm doing, doing really well at the moment. That's good. Uh, that's good. Thanks. Yeah. Before we, before we, uh, started, well, we were just talking about, um, John just becoming a father. Um, yesterday so congratulations john cheers no, thank you very much mate appreciate it yeah, very, very <laughs> intense couple of days but <laughs> so it's no, a it's... yeah so it's a daughter you've got a, a little a little girl now yeah we've got a little baby girl and for those that aren't on the slack group i haven't announced it yet but uh, on um uh, social media but her name is elena yeah so yeah and she's she's perfect and mum did a great job and yeah very happy but yeah we're all we're all buggered <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and after and after one night, you're already lacking sleep. Yep, and but you know, she was born yesterday. I'm I'm committed doing the podcast tonight. No sleep. Yeah, so, yeah I know. Yep. I was I was impressed. I was impressed, Henrik. I was I was on the phone to him yesterday when he announced it, and yeah, I was yeah. and 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 I and I said I said, oh, congratulations. Um, so I guess I guess you won't be co-hosting with me tomorrow night with when we talk to Henrik. He's like, no, no, that shouldn't be a problem. I'm like, oh, okay, because. <laughs> Seriously, if you if I can I can either tell Henrik we can postpone or I can I can bring someone else into co-host. He's like, no, no, I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> so yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. It's all good. If, if there's committed. any quiet, just just uh, yeah, just give me a shout every now and again if I'm too quiet. Oh, yeah, yeah. more or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll, we might as well start off with drink checks and wrist checks. So um, who'd like to go first? Oh, I think Henrik. Henrik, Henrik do you want to, yeah. what are you, what are you right, drinking? Yeah. I'm guessing, guessing uh, because yeah, of the time over there, it's nothing too heavy. Yeah, it's kind of too early to drink alcohol now, but uh, I actually drink a very nice tea made from rooibos. Ah, okay. Some, some vanilla, vanilla taste to it. Very nice. Nice, nice, very mm. nice. Yeah, and yeah. when you say it's too early to drink, I think um, our... Our founder and El Presidente would uh, disagree. He's uh, <laughs> he, he could drink it well any any hour really, but um, yeah. It is Saturday though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He'd be still drinking from Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> and what's on your wrist? And on my wrist today, I have actually um a watch that I got from um watch a seminar in Sweden when I was very young. And ah. yeah, it was it was a 10-year jubilee or 10-year, what do you call it, um, existence of the company. And they, they worked together with ETA at that time. And they were traveling around to give courses to watchmaker on, on the 7750 and the different variations of the 7750 caliber. And they made a special model that each student could buy very cheaply um, for this occasion. And so we learned actually to assemble it and oil it and so on. 
in the two-day seminar, and then we got it ourselves, the watch. And That's it's cool. really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic, and, yeah. Yeah, it was. it's probably uh, 20 years ago or something like that. Okay, yep. So it's, uh, yeah. It's fantastic, though. That's so cool that a company will do that. You know, you assemble it and you get to, you basically get to keep it, and then twenty years later, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. awesome. It's funny that you say twenty years because it just it just reminds us on you know how long <laughs> we've been in the industry for. Like all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Henrik, we like we were these young guys back in you know two thousand and four, <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and now we're like we're getting to be the almost the old guys in the industry, you know. So I'm yeah, sure this yeah. is going to be very nostalgic for both of you. Some of the stories yeah. that will come back in the memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we're the three of us are all Wostep graduates. Yeah, correct. Yep. Um, so I wonder yeah. if we've ever had a podcast episode where every person on there was a Wostep graduate. I doubt yeah. it. I don't think Ooh. that's that's the first. It's that's a first cool. for Fifth Wrist Radio. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Very yeah, we're cool. We're the first stuff, aren't we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> so, John, what are you? Uh, what are you drinking? I am drinking a. I discovered a lovely little uh, independent brewery here in Melbourne called okay. uh, Brick Lane. So, I'm just having one of their lagers. So, I think, uh, I've, I think I've had one of those. Yeah, yeah, so, you do. And uh, mm. yeah, just to celebrate the, the the last few days, I've got a I've got a whiskey on standby. So we'll see. <laughs> yep, fantastic. But on my wrist, I've uh, I've, I've got the back to the Richard Mill RM16. Um, oh. I changed, changed the strap was filthy, so I took the took the Velcro strap off and gave it a clean and, and put the, the rubber one on for the hot weather just to try that out for the day. Yeah, yeah that was a mistake. It's so not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic, that Richard Mill. Uh, yeah, trying it on at the uh, at the oh, Rockfest yeah. one. Yeah, I've got a great picture of you wearing it. Yeah, you look very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so lightweight and and slim. Yeah, like it was. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I'm surprised you're in a in a position to to put it on. To be honest, <laughs> I was after the little nap. After the little, the it was, did I try it? Yeah, I think I came back. Didn't you I? So back. I went. Yeah, I was so hungover, Henrik, at our little Robfest one that. Um, <laughs> I, I had to just go back to Alex's place and and lie down and drink some Gatorade for for like an hour or two and then oh that was a hot day for, too that was hot yeah it oh. was it was a bit disgusting but yeah. anyway we got through <laughs> <it>. alcohol yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so speaking of alcohol so tonight um because it's a hot night I'm drinking a um a gin with uh so a local gin well Melbourne based four pillars um gin with tonic and lots of ice. That's keeping me cool. And on my wrist, I've got something from the lock. I picked something from the lock tonight to wear. So the Zenith El Primero Manufacturer Edition. Oh, beautiful. That I, um, Very that I got cool. last year. Yeah. It's um nice. It's been it's been a couple of weeks, I think, since I wore this. So it's um good to have it back on. I, I, I love that watch, Michael. I think that was that's probably one of the, the, the better buys I've seen in the last yeah. last month. Yeah, but you still yeah, on the honeymoon period with that or you're fully, fully committed to it now. Um, no, I'm out of the honeymoon period and just committed to it. And it's like a, a watch that it will be hard to hard to let go. Like exactly. someone would have to offer me. That's, that's going to be yeah, handed down, bit. you think? Or I don't know. Not okay. sure. Can't. I couldn't say that. The, the the ones I've sold recently have led me to believe that anything's possible because I didn't think I would. <laughs> I I didn't think I would sell the. I didn't think I'd sell the deep sea. You know, I thought I would hold on to the big pilot 
forever. Uh, you're lying to yourself. When you bought that, you're lying to yourself going, yep, yeah, I'm not going to buy another exactly. one. Yep. So anything's possible. I think At the least you're honest watches... about it. We've got to yeah. appreciate the honesty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I think the only ones that are definite keepers are the sentimental ones, the ones for my um, um, daughter and son and, and yeah, stuff like that, the one that my grandfather left for me. So, yeah, but those, anything else is sort of, yeah, up for, up for selling at some stage, I suppose, if, if I choose to. So, yeah. Well, sentimentality is always a, you know, a good, good topic, you know. Do you, yeah. Do you buy with sentimentality? You, you've got something close to your heart? Does it affect you? You know, it's a... Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yep. Right. So, let's, let's get into sort of properly introducing Henrik and getting an idea of who Henrik is, just in case our listeners haven't seen Henrik on, on YouTube or, or have you done a podcast before Henrik? Uh, I did do with uh, in the metal. Oh yeah, yes, know. yes. So, so that, that was on that was on YouTube too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also. Yeah, that's right. I saw okay. that. That was really good. Yeah, oh, that thanks, was really thanks. good. Yeah, with um, with uh, what's his name? Um, got a da- going, Dan got a blank now. That's Dan it. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Also, most the yeah. graduates. Exactly. That's right. He was he was taught by Simone. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Oh, geez, yep. that's going back. Yeah, it is. I can't remember which year it was, but it was earlier than us anyway. It was, um, yeah, I think it may it have was, just been I, a few years. Maybe 10 years before us, 94 or something like that. Possibly like that. Yeah, something like that. So, um, yeah, good guy. I have a few chats yeah, with him yeah. occasionally over Instagram. So, yeah. Um, so, Henrik is, is currently the, well, he's the founder and instructor of the KH. WCC watchmaking school in Laloc, Switzerland. Um, but how about you tell us about your journey in watchmaking, Henrik? Um, from uh, from feel, the beginning? From the beginning, I suppose. Um, feel free yeah. to go into it as much as you want or leave out stuff that you don't feel like putting yeah. in. But yeah, how about you You go through it for the listeners? Okay, yeah. Uh, I started uh, in Sweden since I'm Swedish, so uh, uh, I, I began the Swedish watchmaking school, I think it was in either uh, 1994 or 1995, something like that, and graduated in 1998. Um, right. And uh, yeah, it was a, a classical watchmaking education. At that moment, it was not uh, Vostep, uh, it was not in collaboration with Vostep. They had their own program, which was very... Uh, very different from today's uh, uh, program. Today they ha- they have a, a uh, collaboration with Boston, but at yeah. that time it was a three-year education instead of two, and uh, there was a lot of micro mechanics and drawing and that kind of uh, style watchmaking education, and less yeah. uh, less after sales service. Um, mm. And after three years, uh, I got a job also in Sweden, uh, in the northern, very northern part of Sweden, uh, where I actually experienced below below uh, 40 degrees Celsius one year. That's how Jeez. cold it gets the, up there. Uh, <laughs> and I stayed there for three years. Uh, and it, it was this kind of um, classical watchmaking where you, you repair everything actually as a watchmaker you were repairing clocks 
uh, all kinds of watches, expensive and also cheap watches, even battery change and this kind. Very, very varied type of work and uh, very fun. Yeah. And I learned a lot there. Uh, and uh, but of course, uh, my my dream was one day to to go to Switzerland and learn the watchmaking there as well, um, which uh, I did uh, after three years for, from from mm-hmm. this job. So I then started in Zurich, um, and this was to produce brand new watches. So it was a totally different experience compared to the Swedish where I, I only uh, serviced and repaired mostly old clocks and watches. So yeah. that was a very, very interesting experience to work with brand new uh, watches. Um, and I, in this company called Ventura, I don't know if they are still open, they might be, but they had some um, economical issues and open and started the company a few times. But when I was working there, we produced very cheap watches to rather expensive uh, watches with ETA movements. And uh, I also did the after sales service of those newer type of watches. So it was a brilliant experience, very different from the Swede- Swedish experience, which then led me after... Uh, yeah, so, again, sorry. Do you yeah. mind if I interrupt there? So you were you were sort of in 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 production, so assembling, yeah. but then you would also do after sales. And also, because yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember you telling me about the pr- production of it. I just can't recall. So how did they organise the after sales? Did you do certain days of production and certain days of after sales, or was it just whatever whatever? If if something after sales came in, you had to put that first, or what was the? How was that? Oh uh, yeah, up? that's. That's, I suppose, is the, the beautiful thing when you work for a small company. This company was a very small manufacturer, well, uh, producer of uh, watches. Yeah. Uh, I think we were maybe 10, 10 employees around, something like that. Yeah. And that means that you as a watchmaker, you have to be able to solve all kinds of technical problems. And sometimes it was to discuss... Um, uh, what kind of uh, uh, cases to order, or if there was a problem with, with a case that didn't fit perfectly uh, with the movement, you would have to uh, try to solve those problems, as well as whenever it was time, you would also have to do the after-sales service. So it's yep. just, you, you would have to decide what is the most efficient thing to do this week. And if we had a lot of sales, then of course it would be production would be the priority. And yes, if the sales okay. went down, uh, then it would be to concentrate on the after-sales service. So it was, yeah, very interesting uh, work actually. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and I think I think you you I remember you telling me that, or I remember hearing you say that you you learned about cleanliness in watches at Ventura. Yeah, I think that yeah. was yeah because you had to produce brand new pieces. And completely spotless, of course. Um, no, nothing in the inside, no, no, no dust or anything in the crystal. So you learned a different type of watchmaking, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah when that you're coating up new stuff. Yeah. It was a very unique experience because they had watches with both matte uh, black dials, but also shiny, uh, very sensitive, shiny um, uh, black displays because they made. Uh, uh, not only mechanical watches, they also had uh, their own electronic uh, in-house developed, if you, if you can say it like that, 
uh, yeah. movement. They, they had uh, a watch with a digital display, but it was automatic winding. And this was developed yeah. exclusively for them by ETA, which was really interesting, actually. That is quite uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and the the hard part, it might sound like, oh, it's very easy. You just blow off the dust and you just case it up. Well, it's not really that easy in the end if you have to produce 500 watches uh, yeah. and they have to be all perfectly spotless. Yeah. Um, so that was, and you have to kind of develop special techniques, how you, you can remove uh, single spots in a certain area of the display without scratching it and so on. So. Yeah. And then, of course, also uh, to clean uh, double-coated anti-reflective crystals as well, which was uh, very hard. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, very different from, from the regular after-sale service. So I really appreciated that experience because it's not everybody who gets it. Yeah, yep, exactly. No. Yeah, so after Ventura, what, what happened then? Uh, then, of course... Uh, a dream that I had since the Swedish watchmaking school was, was always to one day uh, take a course in Vostep because it was a very famous institute at that time and it is still today. Yeah. And I then saved up the uh, money for working three years in Zurich and could then afford myself to take the refresher course, uh, which I was uh, very glad to be accepted for. And that was in the same time as you, so we, we, we were in the same uh, class which was fun and <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. Then, then we joined uh, both the refresher course yep that five months or six months period was probably the yeah the most influential uh, period in my life as a watchmaker i think for sure i'd have to i'd have to say the same for me yeah like yeah, yeah. i thought no being being already a a qualified watchmaker i thought i could could service watches properly and 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 do watchmaking properly and and even though I previously worked with Paul, um, our our instructor, yep. um, it still it was still a shock to me when I got, I got there when when we had to go into that much detail with the with everything mm. we did it was still eye opening and yeah I learned learned more than I ever did in any other part of my career in that in that five or six months. So yeah, the, the same with me as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that five or six months at Wostep, it's yeah hugely influential on the your whole attitude. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. uh, even after Wostep, you know, and the because the learning curve, even the, you think you know things, yeah, <laughs> and they're like, no, we'll, we'll we'll tell you what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the learning exactly. curve is literally vertical from the first yeah. day. You know, yeah, and, and everything, everything you, you know, everything you did before, if you saw yourself. If you looked at yourself as a watchmaker, if you could look down at the bench and see yourself doing watchmaking before you went to Wostep, you oh no, thanks, I wouldn't want to. I don't you, even you, want to it would, it would have seemed it would have just seemed um, a little bit ugly and dirty. It just would have just yeah. Mm. It's it's funny the perspective after you you finish Wostep is 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 amazing at what you did before. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we had a we had a great time there. That was that was that was awesome. So. Yeah, because you spent time at Cafe to Surf or at Wastep, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, as I've said on this podcast before, like we, like Henrik and I were two of I would I would say probably four or five students out of the class that really made the most of our time there. Um, yeah. We were there 
every weekend pretty much. We would occasionally in, earlier in the course take a Saturday and take a, the train to Geneva or something. Um, and, oh, just to, to, but just for yeah. the listeners that don't know, so the, yep. the course only it, back then, or I think it still does, is only six students. That was correct back then or was it smaller? No, um, back then with us, it was yep. it was ten, I think. Ten, wow. Ten or eleven yep. in our course car. Uh, yeah, so and we had four sets of three sets of four. In fact, I, there might have been a dozen people in our class at least. Wow. I'm just trying to think. We were at least ten, maybe eleven. Yeah, okay. maybe about that. Yeah, so oh. I'd have to I'd have to count them again, but so. Probably half the class really committed properly and made the most of the school and went in after hours. Like so, towards the end of the course, we didn't we didn't go back to our accommodation for dinner. Um, we generally we'd just yeah have have something quick downstairs and then go back up and keep working. And yep. and weekends occasionally we'd take a a bit of a break if we'd had a big night on a Saturday night or if or if or if in Henrik's case he. He sprained his ankle on Saturday night, and so the next day he spent spent the time at, at the accommodation with his foot up in the air. Um, but yeah, pretty much we we invested so much time in that course. I mean, it was oh, yeah. it was incredible. It was incredible. So and and Henrik was the person I think on my first episode in Fifth Wrist where with Alex and Anthony I mentioned having a. Um, having a bit of a, a competitive, like a competition with, with a student, with another student. And we'd went and drank a load of coffee and went back <laughs> up and tried to tried to see how to see how fast we could actually make a hairspring for this little AS caliber. And Ooh. we were shaking and and I think we ended up being able to complete one in half an hour or something like that. In thirty minutes, yeah, I think. So, yeah, I yeah. think. so that's and, that's and timing it. That's pinning it. That's doing everything. everything everything start well. to finish so that and we we said to ourselves we wanted to be so um competent with that particular hairspring because we knew that was the exam hairspring so oh. that if, if we destroyed our hairspring during the exam and we even had 30 or 40 minutes left in the exam we could just quickly make one even if it wasn't perfect it'd still be a pass yep. Yep. yep so we we um we we did i mean we we made a lot of that hairspring do you remember I mean, your score we, you got michael I bet yeah, Henry can probably remember his scores. I can't remember my hairspring score, <laughs> honestly. I remember well, being we've had this conversation already. I think. Yeah, yep. the only one I can remember is the theory exam because uh-huh. I was I got it. I was I was disappointed that I didn't get a perfect, but that was it. <laughs> <laughs> but everything else was everything else was fairly yeah fairly average, I suppose. But we were just happy to pass. I think in the end. So yeah, yeah, for but, sure. Uh, yeah, it was such a such a competitive class too. I think there was a few of us trying to trying to get ahead of, ahead of each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it's just friendly competition though. It's a good thing, isn't yeah, it? It's definitely exactly. a good thing. it pushes you. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. you know, but no, definitely. I think um, yeah. What's the? Oh, I forgot what I was just about to say. Um, yeah, it's a for people that probably don't understand if they if they're not part of the the Wostep alumni or family. Yeah, so even though a pass is still pretty high, like just a pass, it's still pretty high. So if you get something above that, it's pretty exceptional, really. Yeah, well, we had two yeah, two so. students in our class fail, so yeah, same. Um, and when and when you're putting that much effort and time in, you 
you care about the score, but really the only thing that matters is you pass really. I mean, because exam conditions aren't ideal in any case. And so if you get a poor score, that doesn't necessarily reflect on the rest of your course. Um, yeah, it's just that one day. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So just passing was was good, but... Yeah, um, especially in watchmaking because it's so sensitive and if you have exam nerves, it's definitely not going to reflect how you work. It, exactly. It's like completely the worst type of... Um, physical exam to do when you're nervous like when you've got to hold a hairspring steadily and you're, and you're shaking because exam. of the nerves yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but um no we're, we're still like our instructor was fantastic paul um and we're still henrik and i are both um still close to him we're we're i would say we've we've gone from um student teacher to just being friends haven't we um like yeah, you, yeah. you see you see paul all the time being in switzerland um, yeah for sure yeah I, i'm on I the mean. phone to him all the time like the other night it was just a few nights ago where we had like a two-hour conversation yeah, yeah nice. i'm I'm still learning from him yeah so it's, um, <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a great relationship so yeah i'm looking for looking forward to getting back and spending um a few days with you guys again um hopefully we can yeah. travel again this year so yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it would be cool. Did Did you go to the the ten year or the the anniversary a few years ago, Michael? I didn't know. No, neither no. did I. No, but um, no, it's yeah, it's a it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because yeah, because uh, Henrik actually was the the full time full class full time teacher when I was there, and in I remember two thousand nine. Yeah, that was yeah two thousand nine. For yeah. I was my my refresher course was the first half of the year. Yeah. So after the summer break, everyone um, leaves. But it's yep. it's weird because you go to because I'm still I'm still in contact with everyone I went to Wostep with. Yeah. Everyone in my class. Yeah. I think oh minus one or two people, and yeah, you, you it really does forge friendships despite the competitiveness. Yep. And yeah, I, yeah it's afterwards yeah. your peers. You know, you can still reach out to people for advice, and that's. You, yeah. you have a, a a respect for everybody. Definitely. Yeah, completely. You go through you go through that with anyone, and you you end up being closer with them, really, don't you? You're, you're Absolutely. working that, that much and that hard, and and you're and you're all sort of um, pulling for each other. You're all like when someone when during an exam, if you hear someone make a mistake or they're they're a bit stressed out, you really feel for them. You want everyone to pass. You want everyone to do well because you're going through it every day with them. Um, I remember when one of one of our um, classmates broke a screw in the chronograph exam, in the final exam with the chronograph, and yeah. and he and he was freaking out there for a little bit, and and luckily our instructor sort of gave him some some guidance, and and he got out of it. But um, yeah, it, that was that was a bit of a tense moment for him. But I was just thinking, they don't Wostep is very different these days. They don't do they don't. There's no refresher courses, and there's no complicated courses um yeah it's such so a shame it is it is because the refresher course was like the that was sort of like the standard to you know to 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 upgrade your watchmaking skills if you're already a competent watchmaker that was sort yeah. of yeah i mean i can understand yeah, like, what they're doing but yeah like the gold standard of after sales service at that time exactly exactly yeah so after the refresher course, I remember, I remember leaving and knowing that you were staying. 
Yeah, yeah because I, I was I was happy to pass and leave, and I remember thinking, we're leaving. We're, everyone's leaving now. We're leaving Henrik at Wostep because because you'd been approached by by uh, is it is it Paul? Was it Paul? Yeah, Paul yeah, approached yeah. you and sort of yeah. yeah. So why don't you tell us how how, how it went basically? Yeah, I think he uh, he noticed because. Um, when I was in the class, I also sometimes, I don't remember it myself, but he told me that I also showed off some uh, interest in, in uh, teaching because I was helping uh, some students. Uh, I think it was when we were um, doing the ETA or Ronda class or something, and I got ahead. And then yeah. I was showing somebody what I did. And then Paul probably noticed that or something like that. And then... Uh, when I finished my class, he knew that I was living anyway in Switzerland. And uh, probably by observing that, that I was not really against uh, teaching or anything, uh, he probably thought that I could then be uh, a good candidate to take his position. And he asked that. And um, yeah, you can't say no to an opportunity like that. So of course, I had to take it. Of course. Yeah, I, what did you? Well, you know how we had careers day, and you had to say what you thought, what you wanted to get out of um, WoSTEP or what you wanted to achieve in five years' time. What do you remember? What you said? Oh, uh, did I say something? I don't. Know I remember. I want... Yeah, I remember saying that I want to be. I couldn't think of anything at the time. I was thinking, oh, I'd, I'd like to be maybe a workshop manager. <laughs> And oh, and it happened. Yeah. It happened no, in three years' time. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember. Uh, my plan was absolutely not to to uh, be a teacher in Boston, but I didn't think I would be capable of such a task. So, my goal after Boston was to uh, approach Christoph Claria. I always dreamt of working there with complicated watches. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, but um, yeah, Vostep uh, uh, asked me before that, so before I applied there, so yep. I then uh, took Vostep. Yep, yep. And then you stayed on to to um, um, do some further training before teaching. Is that correct? Yep. Then uh, actually, I was very lucky because I then uh, um, I got actually all the courses for watchmakers they were offering at that time. So it was, um, of course, the refresher course. Then I, after that, I apprenticed and learned how to teach, not from Paul directly, but from Stephen McDonald, who who was also uh, teaching the complicated uh, course. Yes, yes. so Stephen McDonald is the, he's the, he's the um, inventor of the, the perpetual, the LM perpetual for um, exactly um, MBNF. MBNF. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, great. I mean, we all we all looked up to him. He was he was a bit of a um, genius, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. really. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, you can't deny yeah. that watch is incredible. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he um, and I was then his assistant in the refresher course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later after that, I took, uh, I had my own refresher course. It was a perfect system to become a teacher, actually. And then on top of that, I got all the courses, the complicated course, turning course, shobling course, uh, train the trainer with Mr. Simonin, 
uh, a, a specialized escapement course for teachers with uh, Martin Peters and some other smaller courses as well. So all the available courses I actually got there. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I did my uh, 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 two-year course as as the yeah. end part. Yeah, that's that's so that's so cool that you got to do all of those. I mean, I remember, I remember Paul asking me if I'd like to stay after the refresher course to to do the the turning course that was coming up. Yeah, yeah. Because that I think was he was cool. going to do it as well, and I was like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've got a plan. I'm going back to Ireland then going on to work and I sort of wish I had have just postponed getting back into work and just just stayed and done some more training you know so. you, you'd met your wife by that stage right Mike? oh yes yes, yes exactly okay. Lorraine I'd met that's the time just before. Ireland yes exactly okay. so I'd met Lorraine just before woe step basically sort of and um yeah and and the plan was we were gonna settle somewhere wherever that yeah at the time we didn't know but yeah so but yeah it's um yeah, yeah. I sort of I, when you talk when I hear you talk about all those courses you got to do, it's just it's it's incredible. So so many good experiences there. Oh yeah, oh, yeah I'm yeah. very envious. Yeah, <laughs> I was very lucky though. It was yep. the right timing. Yeah, and just to be given this, so they, they just basically said, "All right, we're going to give you all of this these courses. You just you just take them all in as you and you're, you're, you're this is what you do to become a teacher. You know, it's it's." I mean, it's obvious if you can, yes. Mm. Then, then I mean, if you have gotten all those unique and special courses, and then you get then the opportunity to give that away, that's that's remarkable, and uh, I'm very lucky, actually. Yeah, very. So, quick question, Henrik. So, with yeah. the opportunity to to do all the courses before you became a teacher, um, it's not a more personal subject. Is like what sacrifices did you have to make in that time? Like you had to leave family for a few years. Um, and... Yeah, I kind of, um, I suppose I never really grew up since I started watchmaking. I've always, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just have never had any such thought uh, about family. Um, so, yeah, I haven't sacrificed anything actually because I never had any family to bother about except my parents in Sweden, but they can take care of themselves. Um, yeah. And but I have never had your, such a mission. Kai was in Switzerland as well, was he not? Well, yeah, Kai, yeah, Kai he... did the Kai did the your first refresher course. The the first sorry, the first course yeah. you taught refresher course. Kai was in it. You taught yeah, your your yeah. brother, your younger yeah. brother, who, wow. who then who then if. Uh, <laughs> People which, might have seen his his I, he, he built a Torbjorn. Yeah, yeah, which I actually protested against. I didn't <laughs> want to teach my own brother because that's just what the hell is going on here. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just wrong uh, in for me because that puts a a, a a big pressure also on me. You because you you can be nicer to your own brother than to others and so on. You know. And it can That's cause true. problems between the other students. So I had to be uh, very strict with my brother not to treat him differently. So it was <laughs> kind of complicated. But in the end, it so, really well. Yeah. So he actually had to get. He, you gave him worse treatment. You had to. You had to make it look like you were <laughs> yeah, treating yeah. him worse than the other students. Yeah, I can imagine because I could not, that's yeah, funny exactly. because I'd actually suggested before the end of our refresher course. I'd actually suggested that both of our brothers 
come back and do the refresher course together. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I remember I remember thinking that you didn't protest to that, but maybe that's because that was before you knew you were going to be a, the, the teacher of the course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah. So, but my brother didn't end up wanting to do it. He he he'd already committed to the uh, the family business back here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's so good. I wish I wish I'd have seen moments with um, you teaching your brother. You know, just <laughs> just like. <laughs> Exactly. Just like a little a little slap on the side of the head every now and then, make sure all the other <laughs> students see it. <laughs> make an example out of him to the others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh well. <clears throat> yeah, so um what what's next? What 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 you you taught the refresher course? Uh yeah, so um yeah, so then uh, of course I uh, taught the refresher course. Did I do another one? Maybe I did another refresher course after that. I don't. I don't remember. Just what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was. Anyway, it was. I remember it was so smooth and and perfect. The time, the five years that I spent there, it was. Yeah, it was the most compact you can imagine. Compact program for me yeah. to do all those courses and. And um, and I even got to design a new course for us, the, the chronograph course. I don't know if they still have it or if they have changed it. But um, before I was before uh, this course existed, they asked me to do. I think it was a three, two or three week long uh, chronograph course that included modern ones, um, but also the value uh, seventy two. I think. Yeah. Okay. So I got also to create a course, which was a very interesting experience. So you created that course that does it? Uh, did, so it went for three weeks, did it? The one that you created? I think, yeah, I think it was two or three week uh, chronograph yeah. course. Well, they probably still um, have one that's based on that. I mean, I think the, so. Uh, I think they still I run mean, it. Yeah. Yeah. The direction Wastep is headed, where they where they have been looking at um, training more technicians to yeah. to help alleviate the the issues with uh, the number of watchmakers to service watches in the world i mean th- that's yeah. probably a very valuable course still um, yeah, yeah you can imagine sure. yeah yeah definitely yeah um yeah, I think you, michael you'd agree those old valjoux the 72 the 23 uh, yeah. I, wish, I wish someone still made them they're my absolute favorite movement yeah there are there, there's i think there's manufacturers that make um like uh, their version of those calibers, yeah, protected yeah. for quite some time. But but like like even even like the basic caliber, am I right, Henrik? Or like like they're not it, they're not embellished like, like Patek or anything, but yeah. yeah, I know Patek had Patek used to uh, have a heavily modified one of it for sure. Yes, yes, yeah. And, they they, but, they but, took them and did them. But then there's another company these days that I think is making some chronograph calibers ah, based on those. You. I can't remember yeah. the names. I'd yeah. be really interested to to see that, Michael. If you can f- do a bit of research and find I out, I will. I will. And they even make a. I think they even make a split second. Oh, beautiful! Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, you have to. It's a. It's a minimum order of. I can't remember what it is. It's a quite a, quite an investment um, to 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 purchase them. But um, yeah, they they are based on the. The original ones, I believe. I'll do do a bit more research and, and send you something. Yeah, because that that movement, finding a one in decent quality that hasn't been butchered over the last few decades, and yep. you know, particularly in a, a not a, a precious metal case, they're getting very increasingly hard to find. 
Yeah, so exactly. Reasonably price. So exactly. Because you, no, you, you and I both have movements that are just sitting there without cases and dials for projects. So yeah, exactly, exactly. That's it's the famous the the famous project I've got going that's just going to take forever. Yeah, you're gonna you have to train your boy up to to finish it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like the it'll be like the Marie Antoinette. <laughs> Uh, the first one or the second one? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Didn't Rolex also use it at some stage? Mm. Yeah, they did the Daytona. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it was mod- yeah. It was still quite modified as well, wasn't it? The balance was mostly modified, but yeah, they yeah, used they a- used a few different calibers. They used the seven two two, seven two seven. They, 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 they and then they they would add calendars to them as well, and. Um, yeah, they use a few different iterations of yeah, that. Very cool. Yep. Yeah. So, so and then you you also taught the complicated course, Henrik. Uh, no, I was only a student. Oh, okay. That's all right. You were a student, which which is something in itself, anyway. But like, I, I always saw the complicated course, like the refresher course, was always the like you say the gold standard. But yeah. if you took the complicated and restoration course. That was just that was like the ultimate. That was a that it was such a level of like, like producing components and real restoration for some some, some amazing antique pieces. Yeah, that that um, was really totally amazing course as well for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I looked through when when I stayed with you one year. I remember looking through your your book because you 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 produce a book as well with pictures and and. I was just about documenting, to that. yeah, documenting <laughs> oh, yeah. everything, and I've and I've seen I've seen Rory McDonald's as well, and I just yeah. love like if 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 you compiled all of these books that students for the restoration complicated course um, did and actually published them, that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. images oh, taken, the the explanation of components made and the res- restoration techniques, it's so cool looking through these books. I mean, I. I yeah, I mean, I just came up with that idea then. I think someone should run with it. <laughs> no, I agree. Henrik showed me uh, a, a copy of well, one yeah. of these books um, yeah. a few years prior to me attending Wostep. Yeah, and we were in the kitchen one day. He showed me yeah some of the some of the work that's documented was incredible. Yeah. Like yeah, half like there's fifty percent of the movement is completely rusted or missing. Yeah, yeah, ultra thin or. Super complicated. Yeah. That was fantastic. So if you if that was published, I think that would be that would be incredible showing some of the work. Yeah, we've oh, yeah. done oh, over yeah. the years, accumulated. Oh. It'd be quite easy to actually re- reproduce, like publish them, wouldn't it? Really, wouldn't it? Yep, get it oh, done, yeah. Michael. Get it done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. scan everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, and then so the complicated course. What year was that? Do you remember you you did that? Uh, I think it was 2006. Yeah, that was sort of in prep. That was still pre- sort of during your. Um, um, yeah, so you you did that before you started teaching, or did you do that? Um, uh, well, I did. I was teaching uh, the refresher course before. Yeah, and that's I right. think maybe uh, maybe I was also teaching one or two uh, one or two classes with the chronograph course that I designed. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly which order. It's so long time ago now. Yeah. But um, yeah, I probably ended with the with the complicated course, and then quite soon after started to uh, do the two year course. 
teaching the two-year course teaching the full training yeah yeah which is which was we we i know i know some people that have done that um mark travers one of them he was he was actually he, he didn't take the one you were teaching obviously because he was training when we were both doing the refresher course but yeah people that did that full training that's basically a course where if you're not a qualified watchmaker you're just starting from scratch you do you learn everything in two years at the, right, during yeah. that course um whereas a refresh course was you're already a, a trained watchmaker and then you go to to update your skills i suppose um yeah yeah so exactly. yeah so you taught the the full training course for a few years was it a couple of yeah, years yeah it or? was only one time the two, the one two time years. two years yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah should probably mention that was that's the is it three thousand three yeah, two, and a half thousand hours course yeah 200, yeah 300. okay that's right yeah yeah but that's yep. that's the minimum requirements because I, I guarantee you most students were there 12 hours a day minimum yeah yeah, yeah exactly so um yeah so uh after that was are we coming on to um your ta- your your new venture after that is that uh, yeah, um, after that, well, uh, I was also at the same time as I was teaching in Bostep, I was also working as an independent watchmaker. That's right. Um, uh, for our factory here in Lenocle. And um, um, and they actually approached me suddenly, I don't remember exactly at what time and yep. at, uh, at what period uh, it was, but they approached me and asked me, oh, Henrik, uh, we know that you uh, have teaching experience in Vostop and so on. And would you like to build your own private watchmaking school? Because um, they could then help me finance uh, the machines and so on. And of yep. course, if you get offered something like that, it's very hard to say no to, to that, even though uh, <laughs> it's a very big dream. I mean, it's not even a dream you can have. It's just it's just coming at you or it's like uh, yeah how can you even explain something like that yeah like you get you get basically someone offers to just buy all the equipment you want yeah to set up a school yeah yeah exactly and And i remember i remember during that period it must have been the period one of the times i stayed with you um and you were living with kai your brother and someone else and i remember sleeping near your watchmaking bench in your apartment and up on your up on your bench, there was tourbillon movements just sitting there. You were working on. Oh yeah, and yeah, I remember true. I remember just thinking, oh man, this is so cool. He's just <laughs> he's just got these tourbillon movements just up on this bench over here, just in the living room, Michael. <laughs> What's that? Just just on his bench in the living room, or yeah, well that was a that was a workshop slash living room slash bedroom for guests, because I think yeah. I think even Christian Lass stayed there at one stage, didn't he? Probably, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. well, because I was, I've been, well, Christian and I were discussing on one of our recent podcasts, or the, maybe the first one we did with him. And um, I think he, I think it's the same apartment we were talking about. We were both saying we, um, we stayed with you and you and Kai at yeah, different yeah. times. So, yeah, very possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. are you well, at liberty to mention what company it was, Henrik? Uh, I can't really say which company it was. Okay. I remember, but I won't say it. Yeah, same. <laughs> Inside information, people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, Michael, you probably know, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't like if if um, the independence working for them. I think I didn't have like a 
I don't remember anyway signing an NDA, but I think some independents had had to sign on NDA that they don't tell to anybody mm-hmm. that they are working for these companies because they are supposed to, I guess, in their marketing, they are making their own watches, not independent contractors. Exactly. So what a lot of people don't realize is, I'm not sure how much it happens now, but back then it was um, for particularly complicated um, watches with 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 a lot of high high grade finishing on them. The companies would hire independent watchmakers working out of their own ateliers or, or, or workshops, and and they would send them or or supply kits to them to assemble yeah. and produce and and finish hand finish these these watches these these calibers um and a lot of companies i remember visiting a watchmaker um i don't know when maybe it was during our woe step training i'm not sure and it was and and he had kits of watches from half a dozen different companies so he was producing the watches for them in his own workshop um which they were i suppose they had to do because the the, you know there's there wasn't that there's not that many skilled um, people out there to do that sort of thing and, and when you've got those skills you can sort of decide that where you want to use those skills if you want to be in your own workshop and do it at your leisure yeah. then I suppose that's what the watch companies were forced to to do to hire these people to do the, this yeah. work and unfortunately, unfortunately the, the general public though doesn't really they just get the the marketing from the the company they don't really realize don't know for a fact that behind the scenes you had you know, someone like Henrik at the time or other watchmakers throughout the last few decades that have come out and said, look, well, this is uh, Francois Pourjean is actually one of those. He mentioned yep. that as well, you know, doing prototypes yep. for certain companies. Yep. And, you know, the, the big companies, frankly, just don't like it. But I don't I don't think people realise just how extensive the, um, I wouldn't call it subcontracting, but it's more like entrusting someone else's brain and skills to develop something for them on behalf of them. Yeah. And and you know what, come to think of it, if 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 there was a bit more openness and it, they were honest about it, it would it's actually quite attractive. Well, that's what I, that's what I'm alluding to. It makes it more personal. Like if you think that, yeah, you buy a watch from X whatever brand, but there was a watchmaker in his own workshop doing all of that work by himself on that particular movement. I actually find that more attractive than thinking the watch was just being produced in a factory. Absolutely. Um, like I, I think that that. That they probably didn't realise they could have utilised that sort of image back if they, then. If they did it correctly, because otherwise I think it might be dangerous for a brand because people would just go straight to the, the person that helped them develop it. Yeah, that's true. So Yeah, I mean, I mean, they could, they could probably mention how it's done without naming who's doing it. Um, that would be, yeah, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting thought. Like, you know, if they were more open about it, because I think it's more attractive these days. People like to be connected to someone or connected to a watch knowing that there was one person that sort of made that or, or assembled it or, or finished it, you know, I think. Yeah, it's also yeah. I think people these days, they don't really want a company taking the piss out of them either. <laughs> they, yeah, They're being disingenuous exactly. and, but um, no, but also I was, what I was alluding to is like the, if a company is willing, you know, say, look, Henrik, we'd, we'd love you to be the principal of this school. Here's the equipment, tell us what you need and it'll be done. Like that company, if they're investing in the another generation teaching that's i think that's i mean that's incredible yeah it is I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic 
yeah, yeah. and instead yeah. of keeping it in house, but just still, you know, a little bit quiet. But that's yep. how many other companies are investing in uh, independent, so to speak, school. Yeah, exactly. It's you um... know, Wostep has a lot of Patreons. You know, we've got the big yep. three. You know, yep. Rolex, obviously, Patek, and Audemars, as far, I think. Yep. So, but yeah, for a company to to take the risk as well, I think mm. that's incredible. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was 2010, Henrik. You started. Uh, yeah, exactly. I um, so after um, the Vostep, this was back in 2009 summer yeah. when when the student got graduated. Then I started to build uh, the school and uh, move in all the equipment and so on from that after that summer up yeah. until January. Uh, when I officially then started it, January 2010. Right, yeah. Uh, with no. three students. I had first three students. Yeah, okay. And this is this is the KHWCC watchmaking school. This is where it started basically in the lock in 2010. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I remember visiting there a couple of times and just being blown away by... Um, yeah, yeah. By, yeah, I remember visiting uh, with, with Calvin and, and Mark at one stage and... Yeah, yeah. We just thought you were so so fortunate to be in this position. I mean, you worked hard for it, um, but you were you were in a great position where you could you could teach at this school and and you had everything, yeah, yeah. all the equipment you wanted, basically. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. So and, let's, let's talk. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. Keep going. Keep going. And then uh, yeah, and then uh, because it was Paon uh, private school, then I could also design the curriculum how I wanted based on all my experiences as a watchmaker and teacher from Bostep. So it was a total dream come, come true, actually. Yep. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so, yeah, like, our, my, my memory of that was we we had come out of Bostep and it was like, we, th- that was the ultimate course. And John yeah. feels the same, I'm sure. Yeah, it was there was there was there was nothing more unless you studied, you did further training at Wostep. We had done what we had to do, but you, my my I, my thought of that was when when I saw what you were doing in your new school in the lock back yeah. then was you were you were taking what you had at Wostep and saying how can I add to this, and you you ended up I don't know when you in, you introduced it, but you introduced a full training course that was. It was more hours, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, everything has been kind of uh, fine-tuned everywhere, yeah. and uh, we are aiming to get four thousand hours. Right. Yep. Another okay. one thousand or eight hundred hours more, which I uh, always thought that this is totally possible to do within two years. Yep. Well, and... I suppose the amount of time we invested in Worstep. When we were when we were there, we you probably saw that yes, students can 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 do this extra time over yeah, over yeah. two years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So that means I also included elements from what I learned as a sub subcontractor with the finishing and adjustments of mechanisms, as well as uh, uh, making certain parts uh, from the restoration course and so on. So that's also some elements included yeah. in the, uh, the full skill class. Yeah. So how does so how the full training starts off with 
micro mechanics, does it? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, in the end, I guess every watchmaking school roughly are the same. We start with making tools, right? Yeah. So that we can uh, make parts with these tools or potentially. Uh, and that means that you also then learn uh, how to use all these larger types of uh, watchmaking machine, like a, a, a milling machine or a jig boring machine and so on. So that's just art as a standard part, which was not really in Vostep. In Vostep, it wasn't really standard to use the jig boring in the full training, for example, even though that I let the students use it. Yep. But it wasn't like standard part of the program as I have now. So they, they must make certain uh, tools with all these machines. That's very important for me so that they they have at least uh, some sort of uh, uh, understanding of of uh, restoration and and making uh, handmade uh, uh, parts in restoration. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So potentially students could come out of your course and and really produce enough parts if they want to, if they wanted to apply themselves they could end up being a watchmaker that makes a watch um, makes makes all of the components couldn't they yeah absolutely i mean uh, of course it, it's it's only a question i think of time and organization so i yeah. would assume that all my students if they want to and if they are are um, lucky to be in such a position they should be able to with this knowledge for sure uh, make their own handmade watch. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. It's so attractive. Like, I, I'm I'm so grateful to have done step but in some ways, I wish I could go and just all. yeah, it could, yep. could well I could just go and do something at Henrik's school as well. Like, um, yeah, it's it's just a fantastic program, and yeah, I, uh, what I'm hoping is we reach people on this. That want to want to in, actually invest in a career in watchmaking, and they yeah. you've, you've got a, a, a is it a, a friend Michael or was it a, a client that's actually considering the career change? You mentioned that a few months ago. It was a Have gentleman I? very 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 much considering a career change? Oh yes, yes, there is there's, actually. There's a few people. There's a few people that have sort of yeah. There is a few people that have discussed uh, or, or discussed it with me. The idea of getting into it, I think. They have to be sure that it's something they because because in the end it's it's it is like taking a full university course. It's 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 an investment in time, money, and you oh, have to be passionate about it too. You, well, you you need to be a hundred percent committed, single minded. Yeah, exactly. Nearly single minded. Exactly. The more you put in, the more you'll get out of it. Um, yeah. But I think this is the ideal school to to go to if you if you want if you just want to get a career in watchmaking um this is the one you would go to and and you can get it you can get that in a couple of years basically um and we actually had a question because i've got a few questions written down from listeners or people from the slack group um they've posted questions for henrik and one of them was well maybe i'll just go through all the questions in a little while and we'll go through them one at a time maybe that's the easiest way yeah yeah yeah. So what other courses do you offer at at your school? Uh, yeah, so first it was only one course. It was the what I call full skill, which uh, should then include all the full range of skills that a watchmaker needs. And then later on, I got in contact with another school in America 
called AWCI. This was back in yes. maybe 2015 or so. Yep. And um, uh, through a, a, a good friend of mine who also happened to be uh, my first student in the chronograph course that I, I, I was giving in Vostep. And he, he was working in AWCI and then somehow got in contact with me. I don't remember how, but it's a long time ago. And he recommended, oh, Henrik, you should collaborate somehow with AWCI uh, to give courses or, or, or whatnot. And uh, then I did take contact with them. And, um, and the first experience I had together collaborating with them was to give a finishing class uh, during one of their yearly conferences. Yep. And this was in, uh, I think, Kansas City was the, the place they had the conference. Oh, yes. and, um, and it was, yeah, it was really, it was totally experimental and I didn't know how this will go. I have never really given any such short classes for so many people because they, they packed in, I think it was 14 or 15 students in the class. Right. Okay. So I, and, and the class was about black polishing, um, uh, steel parts for watches. And, um, and that idea was probably very attractive to these, uh, uh, American watchmakers, because I don't think it's something that they, yeah, it's not something that we really, it's very special black polishing. So it's not yeah. something that a watchmaker in after sales service have to do every day. So probably it sounded very exotic. There's a, a guy, a Swedish guy coming from, from uh, uh, Switzerland to give this two-day class in this conference. And it was just fully packed. And I had to actually prepare before going there. I had to make 15 tin plates and 15 tripods to actually do Ooh. this. Black wow. I did all of them by hand with the wow. machine. And How long did that take? And uh, I don't remember, but yeah, it was a lot of work. But uh, but since then, and I also sold almost all of them because people ask, "Hey, we cannot get these tools here in America." So they they uh, all bought them, and I was very surprised. So so that was a, a, a great thing as well. And then yeah. later on, I gave this class on a yearly basis in AWCI headquarters. Um, up until uh, not last year, because then we had the virus, but 2019 yeah. was the last time I gave it. And since then, I have probably made close to 100 sets by now. Wow. And sold to watchmakers. Yeah, because in each class, there is always somebody who want to buy them. And the classes are in America much larger than what I have here in Switzerland. So it would be yeah. around 10 students in each class. Yeah. Can you quickly explain, uh, Henrik, the benefits of using tin over zinc for black polishing? So I tried both. Um, and uh, in Vostep, I learned to, I think it was zinc-based alloy um, because it didn't appear at all like uh, tin. And uh, it worked very decently. Um, yeah, uh, no problem to black polish and so on. Uh, but then later on, I tried my friend's tin plate who he supply here in the local la shot phone to watchmakers who, who have to do it professionally and that one he said it was tin based but he didn't say if he added any other material and i tried it and it was better than the zinc plate from Ostep. and then 
uh, then uh, I bought a few from him, but then for some reason I couldn't buy anymore, uh, which is another story, which is more personal. So then I decided, oh shit, I can't get these uh, tin plates anymore. So I, um, I took the risk and ordered pure tin online from uh, some hobby company here in Switzerland. Uh, that would be used for making it, for example, tin figurines. You melt oh, the, yeah, like little toy soldiers and yeah, 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 a company like that, and they sold then uh, bars of ninety nine point nine percent pure tin. So I, I just bought um, a kilo or so, and then I uh, <laughs> melted it myself and into a form or, in, a in, in the apartment or at school. Uh, this was in the school. <laughs> <laughs> but you could do it in the apartment on the stove. <laughs> it will melt at around 200 or 220 degrees Celsius, so it's no problem. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, it doesn't have any dangerous fumes compared to zinc either, does it? From what I remember. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So and, if you've got the equipment, you can make it yourself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and that's why I never, I never really. Uh, prepared to sell them to anybody because i was thinking if i can do this everybody else can do it but people want to buy things rather than to make so yeah that's <laughs> win-win for everybody as well yeah. um well, at least you didn't yeah. have to pay excess baggage on the way back <laughs> oh yeah exactly yeah <laughs> they also uh the Every time I flew in, I always flew in with 10, 15 uh, tin plates and tripods. And I individually packed every single... These are circular, half a kilo, each one is half a kilo. So <laughs> I then individually wrapped them uh, very carefully uh, because I know that the T TSA or whatever the organization in America uh, that controls uh, bags uh, at airports, they will they will certainly be very curious about what this is because it doesn't look like normal things that you would uh, travel with. No, no. And, what is he? Uh, what is this guy producing? What is he? What is he looking yeah, to make in the US? Coming in with heavy metal. What is heavy metal <laughs> otherwise used for? And this is really heavy metal. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I individually packed every single tin plate and tripod and um, and uh, hoped for the best. And I also took photograph of exactly the order in the, in the bag, which I put inside with an inventory list of every single tool I was traveling with. And uh, to my surprise, they actually opened up every single individual package to check what was inside. Wow. And then they also really nicely put everything back taped with this TSA uh, stamped paper or uh, uh, tape, sorry. It was perfect. I was so surprised. And everything was there in the perfect order according to the photograph and the inventory list. Yeah. Yeah, it was Im impressive. They must have spent hours doing that as well. <laughs> Imagine uh, the work. Yeah, I know. That's incredible. But yeah, go, going back to the tin plate, then I found out that this, the homemade tin plate that I made, when I started to polish screws, I noticed I'm only spending half the time ah. compared to the other uh, uh, tin plate and the zinc plate. So, and uh, the polishing was as good, if, if not even deeper black polish. So I then found out, yeah, the secret uh, is to have absolutely as pure tin as possible when you make your own tin plate. Right. 
That's interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. Was, for, for people that are listening that don't understand about uh, black polishing, I'm sure like Michael and I've got a little bit of experience, but um, it's take it, it away. I was going to say we should explain what what these the tripod and the tin plate are for and how yeah, it's used. Yeah, just a, a quick backwards like black polishing. It, it's it's very um, speculative on the weather as well. Like if you've got high humidity or um, yeah. raining outside it you know one one screw could take you five minutes a small screw but if you have the, the larger the piece the, the longer it takes to do essentially but it you can do one piece and then you come back after lunch and try and do another piece the exact same another screw matching screw and it takes three times as long because the weather's changed or something's changed and it's yeah. it's it can be it's incredibly satisfying but also incredibly frustrating sometimes as well yeah. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. So, have we got have uh, have we mentioned how you actually do the black polishing, and and what it is? Like just in case, just in case there's listeners out there that we haven't mentioned that yet, have we? I think well, I think that people are going to have to go to Henrik's site or the the they the, could the his Instagram or his, the the website because there's plenty of the, they do a little blog, don't you, Henrik? You still up have a school blog? That's a good idea. On yep. a blog, yeah. And on my, if you go to my Instagram, you would probably find some black polished uh, steel parts that I did for uh, Patek Philippe uh, one time, long time ago. And yep. there you will see that uh, the black polishing, you would have to go quite a lot down on my Instagram. But there is okay. a series of photos. Here's a bit quicker for people. Um, I believe, Henrik, you did uh, uh, an article with uh, watches by SJX. Oh, yes. Also that one, yeah. Yes, that's probably the quickest reference for people to find if you want a, a good explanation with plenty of pictures. I think I think if people Googled Henry Corpella, H-E-N-R-I-K, uh, Corpella is K-O-R-P-E-L-A, they would, and watchmaking, they would probably find a list of educational articles and and different different things on on there by just Googling. So. Yeah, you've got yeah, you've yeah. got you've done quite a bit of training actually. Henrik's work is next level as well. Like, I, what's I, that? I still have a picture saved of a, a crown wheel that Henrik did the angles on the teeth. Oh like, yes, polished the angles on the teeth. Yep. Yeah, and I I remember I reached out and Henrik told me a secret, whatever. But it's it's just next level. Like it's it's obsessed, it you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's great to see it, and I actually use a lot of your stuff as references because because some sometimes I'm not some of the some of those um, those procedures I'm not doing all the time every day. So some like I might I might have not done a particular particular thing for a number of weeks. So I'll sort of go back in and and look to see. The different procedures and the steps to do this this type of finish, or something like that. It's um yeah, so it's it's useful stuff that you've actually published out there. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I try to um, if I write an article or explain something, then I try to as much as possible be practical about it, and that that you can see from the pictures that it's not too much text; it's rather more pictures trying to explain what it is than yeah. uh, too much text because yeah, that's you, what you, I like anyway read yeah so you were built you were well. like one of those one of those people that are built for teaching because you just you're able to pass on the information so easily I've, I've i've sent you quite a few emails asking about how you would do this particular particular thing and the yeah. way that you've explained it it comes back like 
it's probably effortless for you, but it it just it looks like a textbook on how to do it, and it's but it's it's so basic. It comes across so basic. It's just like anyone could actually understand it. It's um yeah, it's incredible. So <laughs> it's you you and Paul are very much similar like like that. Yeah, like you, I could listen to you speak or or, or read something you've you've written and um, understand it immediately. Yeah, just so, just my opinion, but I think especially Henrik and a few other teachers I've met in my time, they um, if if you don't understand something completely, you can't then explain it to someone simply. So if if, if you yeah. overcomplicate it and just rattle on and on, if you're not concise about it, then you don't properly understand it. Whereas in my experience, yeah. talking to Henrik and other teachers, if they can explain to you something and you grasp it in the shortest period as possible, yeah, they know their shit. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It takes a, it takes another skill to be able to pass that information on. It's one thing to be able to do it yourself, but to be able to pass it on to someone that's learning is another thing. So yeah, yeah, and everyone learns differently. So Henrik would have to adapt his teaching style to every single student or every All person he meets that asks him a question. Yep. You know, exactly. and I've got a huge amount of respect for for you, Henrik. That's I think you're an incredible watchmaker as well. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, that's why it's very hard for me to have. For me, six students is really a crowd. If yeah. I have to individually teach, that's why it's kind of limited in my school, uh, six students. Yeah, uh, that's. But of course, yeah, you good. could have more students. Like when I go to America, uh, then I have ten students. But then it's more like you just have to hope that all the students are learning it. But there will always be some that yeah. they don't grasp it or they don't make it because you don't have the time to spend the time individually with each one. There's only and so much you can do for 10 people. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Pretty thin, I imagine. Yeah. So that's, I mean, a, that's then, quite interesting that uh, Wostep has gone from, you know, 10 or a dozen students down to six for most courses. No, well, that's... that's did you... But that, Henrik's talking about his school. Yes, but it's also surprising yeah. that most of them have done the same. Have they? Yeah, my because my it, refresher course was six students total. Oh, yeah, really? I yeah. Henrik's full, full course was six students as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, was, yeah. I think it was uh, that happened when I started to teach. Then they only had six. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yep. It, it's it's could in some cases it could still be too many possibly or. I mean, ideally, one on one is perfect, isn't oh, it? Yes. But I mean, yeah, yeah it, it's oh, just not. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. six students is rather perfect, actually. Okay, it's, right. Uh, it's it will take up the teachers all the time of the teacher, but yeah, uh, I think six is uh, a very ideal number. Uh, and I suppose students. it's good. It's good for students to be able to help each other, and and there has to be some sort of socialize socialization and and for students yeah. to actually help each other as well. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Six yeah. students in the class. One student is an apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually on your website at the moment, Henrik. Um, so people yeah. could go to the website for the school, khwcc.ch, um, and and down a little bit, it's got um, congratulations for the distinction of fellow of the British Horological Institute. Can you explain what what happened there? Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for that. Um, yeah. yeah, I also uh, was in contact later on with uh, BHI. Yep. 
uh, a very good friend of mine, Alan Bertoft. He, uh, I think he's still working there. He's also a teacher who I met in Boston. And he's very, very uh, always concerned about uh, watchmaking and education and so on, like I am. So uh, we then somehow a few years ago connected and I had a great experience one time when I visited uh, England a few years ago, then I met up with him again. And he then uh, learned, I guess, more and more about what I have accomplished and so on. And, I, and then he recommended me uh, to uh, become a member of BHI, which I did. And, uh, and then shortly after, he recommended me to uh, upgrade to FBHI uh, level, uh, which I then did. And then I got this distinction. Uh, and this is only one or two years ago, I think, when I, okay. I uh, went there. So that was really nice distinction, yeah. And that's based on the work towards watchmaking, uh, is it? Uh, they they never say say why. Uh, oh, okay. I just got it. But I would imagine it is because of uh, that I built the school and, and everything, yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah. It, I think you don't have to build a school or anything to get it. You can also be a very, very skilled watchmaker. And I think there are different ways to get, uh, to get it. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So what, that was, um, uh, nice. I might ask you some questions that have been put forward by some of the Slack. So we've got a, are you aware of Slack, Henrik? It's like a message system. Have you heard of, uh, heard of Slack? I never heard of Slack, no. So Slack, we were, we were introduced to Slack, a few of us last year, and it's, it's quite a complex, um, at first, complicated messaging system. And, and I still, yeah. we still joke about me not grasping it fully yet, but it's, it's basically we've got a lot of people involved in the Slack group, and it's, it's a lot of listeners, it's a lot of podcast hosts. Anyone to do with Fifth Risk basically can join Slack or any, any, anyone at all. Yeah. wants to be, join and we discuss a lot of things and and it was a few people have asked some questions um adam from medium watch has said how long does it take to learn enough to work independently so so yeah that's an interesting question um to be to be independent as a watchmaker how how i mean it, de- it obviously depends on the the person individuals doesn't it um, yeah it's we are not robots then it would be easy to explain but since we are human yeah. beings it's i i mean uh, looking online there are students who come out from school and go immediately independent yes not that i recommend that or anything but there there are uh, students from the french school i think even from some english school and they just went uh, independent immediately after their uh, uh, basic education and That's a then, good point. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, when are you ready? I don't know. Um, you you could be ready immediately after school. It's yeah, it's true. Yeah, some uh, people mightn't feel as confident and they need to gain some experience within a company after school before yeah. they realize they can become independent. But that's true. But in fact, I, that relates to another question later on. Um, but yeah. but my, my normal recommendation is always, uh, yeah, maybe 10, 15 years after their basic education, when you have some professional experience from different companies or independent watchmakers, then it could be, that's what I always kind of 
recommend in general, 10, 15 years. But, but I don't think it needs to be that long today. Things are moving much faster today. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I think the idea of independence is happening a lot quicker for a lot more people. And I think, yeah, yeah the natural the natural course is to do what um, I suppose what I did was was get experience under a company after my my training, and and then I felt that I was I was okay to become independent. And yeah, I think that's the natural course. But I think you're you're right. There is a lot more people just becoming independent straight yeah. after school. Yeah. Um, and it might say something about the education as well. Um, yeah. and, and I suppose social media has something to do with that. Um, they're, they're, yeah, I think there's a lot yeah. more. There's a lot more awareness that that if you can, if you have certain skills, you can you can make it by yourself. You can you can advertise very easily with social media. Was uh, yeah. was Adam's question relating more to repairing or or making from scratch? Um, repairing, no. I think, oh, you know what? I'm not sure. Yeah. If I go back to the original. I suppose suppose the question could apply to both. It could apply to both because... I'm just thinking my own personal experience, like straight after Wostep, like um, I won't go into it, but you do the the math, 2009. Yeah. um, But I was was very lucky to get a job uh, coming back Mm. to returning to Australia. And Mm -hmm. uh, the experience I had for eight years with that uh, small family company, the, the experiences experience I had is solely because of the variety of work I was seeing, uh, mostly yep. vintage stuff like that. But yeah, if I, if I hadn't had that, if I'd gone straight from Wostep to a company, I, I would have missed out on eight years of, you know, mm. solid education. And I think every, every watchmaker I, I'm sure would agree with me. And I tell this to people uh, when they, when they find out I'm a watchmaker, um, you never stop learning in this trade. And that's probably no. the, the, the the best thing about it. There's always something new to learn. I can I can message Michael and say, Oh, uh, do you remember how to do this? Such and such and such. We can talk about it and then but I can reach out to anyone, especially with Instagram, you know, talking to people on the other yeah. side of the world for help. That's the thing, is always something to learn. Someone always knows something else. You you'll Completely. never learn everything. Completely. And and on that, like comparing like if someone comes out of a school and goes straight to making watches. That's possible, but it is possible because if someone has come out of school and they're actually, there's a certain school where the, they're manufacturing components anyway, and they're already, they've already, during the education, they're already planning on doing something like that. That's, that's, that's possible. But in some ways, going into restoration and servicing can be more difficult because of the, unless you want to focus just on certain brands. And movements, mm. like that, can be very difficult. Well, when you're and when you're, you're looking at part supplies as well. Yeah, so. and when you're restoring anything from two hundred years old to current, yep. like recent, like it takes a lot of varied, varying skills, um, and and information and, and experience to be able to do that stuff too. So there's, I, yeah, uh, yeah, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> it is a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I'd, I'd, I'd say that immediately is possible, but it's going to be a steep learning curve. I yeah. would say that the the ideal thing to do is to, to to take your watchmaking education and then gain experience in the under in a company, I suppose, or under a, under an independent watchmaker would even be better if that's where you want to go, if that's the direction you want to head. We also learn then, you know, different workshop layouts, stuff like that. You can develop your own ideas. Yeah. It's no, it's. 
Yeah. Yeah, but I, I admit there there is some fan, there is some gifted people out there. I'm sure. Exactly. You know, we could all name half a dozen easily. Yeah. This I is an interesting question too. Yeah. I sorry. From the business side. Some some yes. people might be more ready and more mature with with how to run a business, for example. So that's also part of it that we should not forget. It's not only the watchmaking. That's completely yeah. completely yeah, that's, true. That's a good yeah. point. If you've got some young, young yeah, a young student just coming out of watchmaking school, they may not have any experience with managing finances yeah. and yeah, and then I think it also depends. Yeah. I think today on the new skills, social media. There are some some young people who are incredibly good with social media and can market themselves and sell their products uh, much yes. easier than maybe some other. So that also plays a, a, a part. It does. It plays a huge part. And to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for, to, photography is another skill. I mean, oh, yes. when you're talking about social media, <laughs> I mean, there's so many different skills you can pick up. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, and this this is another interesting question that I think you could answer, Henrik. How old is too old for people to start training? That's also from Adam from Medium Watch on Instagram. He and 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 I think you've you could give an example of a student you had that was that was a little bit older as well. Um, yeah, I had. Um, well, if I look back in Vostep, in the refresher course, I actually had. A student, I think he was maybe 63 years old when he started. Right, oh, that's fantastic. And, and he wasn't a professional watchmaker. He, For him, the refresher course was the watchmaking course for him. Yep, okay. And he learned it, yeah. Uh, he was actually already uh, uh, in pension. Yep, That's okay. why he took it up. Um, and then he was always a passionate watch collector and so on. And he was a, a, a great student, actually. And uh, he did not, in the end, uh, uh, pass all the exam and graduate. But it wasn't his goal. His goal was just to learn the maximum he could from this re refresher course so that he could repair watches uh, for himself, but also professionally a bit. So... Um, but he would have been, if he had the energy, he would have been good enough to pass all the exams. But I know that the course was rather intense and very yeah. short time. So, but he was good. If if the course was two three months longer, he should he would have for sure passed. Yeah, that's interesting. And we also in our refresher course, we had an older guy, Son Son Ling. Oh, he yeah, was Son Ling, yeah, he yeah. he was in there. He was I don't know what age he was at at the time, but he was quite quite old but I, I would say that it's you're never too old as long as you as long as you seem to and I suppose before you start training you would probably be you'd go through a, a procedure where you can test your your eyesight and test your yeah. some of your your hand skills before you actually start the course and is that what people generally do before they start in your course anyway what sort of yeah the procedure sort of it's not the same as in Vostep. Uh, um, I have instead um, something that I call a taster course, for which is uh, uh, one week long. And uh, sometimes yeah. it can even be longer if I'm not, if both me and the prospective students are not really sure. Uh, it it has sometimes I have extended it even. Yeah. Um, but at least it's usually uh, one week, and during this week. I then get to know the students more than if the test is only one or two days. Um, and the student get to know the school uh, and me as a teacher as well. Yeah. So it's it goes both ways to see if... The, and the most important for me is to see that 
that the students can complete a task and improve on the task, meaning that he can learn. And yeah. it, I also need to see that the student can learn fast enough. Yep. So it's very yep. natural. That's that's good that you can you can have like a, a little week a week one week taster yeah. thing. So if anyone has any doubts about their age or their ability, I mean I think it's it's in most people the ability if they if they um, apply themselves. Sometimes it comes easier for other people because they have a might might have a natural ability. But I think if anyone applies themselves, then it's possible really. So yeah, yeah, and I I think no one you. I don't think it's possible for a person to know this himself. He he has to just go and do what what uh, um, a watchmaker is doing and see if his body and mind agrees with that. It's not something you can't intelligently say, oh, I like watchmaking. And then it turns out you didn't really like the watchmaking. You like to collect watches. That's totally different. Yes. So the, the work that we do, it's not... You know, it's not like collecting fine watches. It's in the end, we have to also do some, sometimes some micromechanics and make some small parts or assemble watches, oiling. And people just have to experience and do it and then see, did they like it or not? Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got an uh, horoptimist. Um, he actually, we well, probably already answered this question. What does Henrik think about the many young watchmakers going on? Uh, out as independence straight away. How important is it to first have experience in restoration, like like Dufour and Rudelainen and Sapanava? I think we've we've sort of answered that. I think it. I think there is benefits of uh, having restoration experience. Um, before yeah, making, of course. Yeah, exactly. So I think we've answered that. Um, what are your views on the definition of what is considered handmade? And on the same sort of question, what do you think of CNC to assist in watchmaking? <laughs> this is a really tricky question, isn't it? Because yes, yes. CNC, okay. I have nothing against it because it helps yeah. helps so many watchmakers produce yeah. watches. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, could I just go first to the restroom? Just yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Yeah, well, I'm going to take a – I'm going to – I'm going to take a break and um, go get some drink, uh, drink fill yeah. up too. So, yeah. Perfect, perfect. Because, yeah, see this you soon. Has, I have a, yeah, right. see you soon. Intermission. 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 We, yeah, exactly. We just edit this out anyway. So, yeah. or we keep it yeah. in. It's fun. <laughs> see you soon. All right, John, I'll leave you alone. You can, you can, you can have a talk unless you want to go do a, do a uh, toilet stop or fill up a drink. Oh, I already went and did a sneaky toilet stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you? Yep. Wow, that was. Have you got a bottle there or something? <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, no, I stole a bedpan from the hospital, mate. <laughs> Man, that's incredible, did you? That's right. Well, so everyone's everyone's going away. I'll just do a quick book reading yeah. here from uh, Bill Bryson that I've got. <laughs> do it. I'm going to go fill up the drink. What do we have here? We've got Bill Bryson. We've got the new... Oh, it's not new. That's a couple of years old. Jack Carr novel. This could be the Fifth Wrist ASMR channel. Watchmaking, watchmaking, watchmaking. (laughs) (laughs) Fifth Wrist.
Waka Jangy. Waka Jangy. Rolex. Oh, you're going to have fun hearing that, Michael. All right, I'm back. Oh, all good. Good to have you back, Henrik. Very good. I think we're still waiting on Michael. Okay, okay. What's a it, um? What's the temperature there at the moment? If it's snowing, we're minus in the minus. Oh uh, yeah, we're like minus uh, five right now. Oh well, but uh, it feels way worse because it's a bit windy. Oh yeah, the the wind chill. Oh no, thank you. Uh, I I remember though. I think uh, um, yeah, the lock. We 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 travelled there. I think after our exams, or just before we found out our results for our exams. Oh, oh yeah, it's, yeah. It's such a beautiful town. Oh, I love it. it. I also live here, so it's it's really amazing place. Actually, very uh, quiet town, very pleasant and uh, very nice um, uh, were you, nature. Were you, living, were you living there whilst you were teaching at Wostep in Neuchatel? Or were you uh, living yeah, in I was living actually in Neuchatel then. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I moved around quite a bit actually. Uh, and then I also lived in in the neighboring town La Chautfond for a few oh, yes. years, and also had a workshop. I had another workshop after the one in Neuchatel in Canton of Bern, but it is oh. just next to La Chautfond. Yeah, it's a small town just next to La Chautfond. Oh, wonderful! But but I had bad luck with that. It was on it was a renovated old watchmaking company actually. And oh. uh, and they renovated it, made it beautiful on the inside, and uh, repaired the roof as well. It was a, a flat roof. And then my first winter there, uh, funny story, there was a lot of snow that winter, and this snow accumulated on the flat roof that was newly renovated. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it got heavier, exactly, it got heavier and heavier, and one day... In the middle of the night, I heard a huge explosion. <laughs> and I thought it was like a bomb who went off or something like that. And then I ran up from my bed and, and looked around. What the hell is going on? I didn't see anything. And then I went to my other room, just next to the bedroom. And the whole roof had come down with the snow on all my watchmaking machines. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole point of having a, a, a slanted roof in Switzerland, you know? The, the... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, what did you, what did you, like, man, I remember hearing, I remember hearing about that. How did you react? Like, if um, it was me, I would have just been like, oh, for fuck's sake. I, I would, I would. <laughs> you would have been livid. Yeah. I, I, I panicked. <laughs> yeah, it would have been pure panic. Yeah, and, and I called uh, the owner in like three or four o'clock in the night and told what happened. Because I didn't know what else. Do you call the police or what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you do when you, your, your roof breaks from snow? What, yeah. what, what equipment did you have in there, Henrik? Like lathes or just a uh, workbench? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's uh, grinding machines, basically everything that I have in the school. But oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> was anything damaged? Yeah, it was, I mean, uh, everything was water damaged. 
Oh, but the, 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 the snow up there is because they use a lot of salt on the road, right? So it accumulates in the air and comes down in the snow? Or yeah, and, and yep. just just the, the water that after the snow will melt. So, um, so yeah, everything gets water everywhere. And... The value of that must have been incredible. So Yeah, yeah, yeah speaking I... of which, I, I'm, I'm going to trade in my uh, baby girl for a Shawble and 70 if I can, if you know of anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to use the bloody thing anymore, but. <laughs> but the, funny, the funny thing with these machines, though, is that, sure, if you want them in um, uh, pristine new condition or newly uh, restored, of course, then they are very expensive. Um, and I bought really top condition and paid uh, good money for it and so on. So I, I I don't remember how much I invested because it was over so many years uh, that I bought these tools. Yeah. But um, um, some other students that I had, they have found all the same machines, Hauser, Schauble, Nasera, and so on. And you can actually sometimes find a Schoblin uh, uh, 102 for maybe a thousand dollar or even five hundred dollar or something like that. And in the same bid. Uh, um, with Dacera, you, you can be very lucky and uh, still find bargains for a few hundred dollars. Wow! So, you, and you remember course... the what was the the? I remember once we went, we went during my step uh, on, a, on a Sunday. I think it was we went to a uh, it was like a secondhand fair in some little town. We drove yeah. there, um, and it was all a whole heap of secondhand watchmaking tools and equipment. It was, uh, was it was like took over a small town. Oh, that maybe it was was it just next to Neuchatel? It was yeah, it wasn't far. It was about twenty minute drive, fifteen minute drive, I think. I think that was in, the, in a neighboring town called Neuberville or something like that. Yes, possibly. And I, pro- yeah. I probably only went there one or two times. Michael, that's where I found my shellac stone. Oh, did you? Yeah, the market. Yeah, because Henrik okay. told me about them and. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I went on the search for them. Literally, that I was obsessed with finding one. I, I ended up finding that little one, that small one. Oh, oh this was when you were in Wostep. Yeah, and then Henrik yeah. advised me on how best to to clean it up so I could actually use it because it was in pretty bad condition. I had to grind, a, you know, five mil off the side yep. of it. So, yep. but yeah, yeah, I was so lucky to get that. It's still one of my most prized possessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really. Yeah, it's a valuable tool. I know um, Rory helped me get mine. Um, yeah, like you'd... How like big yours, Michael? Right? What's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we were comparing our si- the sizes of our shellac stones one, one episode. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a good piece of 3M micron paper on glass leaves a good finish too. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for vintage stuff, especially vintage chronographs, you know, you've got a bit of surface rust that they used to just bring them up so so mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, they're just, just they're not made anymore, as far as I know. So. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, I have never seen any new. That's for sure. Um. What we so we were on. Oh yeah, definition of handmade. What's oh, like? Yeah. That's a tricky question, um, isn't it? I'm glad you went to the bathroom first because it's like it needs some. <laughs> Need some time. Yeah, yeah this, this one is. Uh, I think every watchmaker probably goes through stages how they look at handmade. 
uh, at least for me, it has been like that. And I always, uh, when I was younger, I was thinking, yeah, handmade is, you know, you 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 fa- hand file and you use manual machines and so on. Yeah. Uh, um, and then we have the CNC made watch, but where you have applied uh, hand finishing. They may also yeah. uh, today call those watches handmade. Yeah. And then, um, then uh, which is kind of also true, um, uh, but it is not like handcrafted, hand machined fully like George Daniels uh, uh, did and uh, uh, several watchmakers today as well. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I think, um, I think it's we shouldn't divide too much um, how a watch is made because it can also be a watch where you have CNC'd some parts. Some parts could be stamped out, and yeah. some parts are perhaps handmade. Maybe we are putting too much emphasis on handmade. Yes. Um, and and why? I mean, uh, every everyone. Everyone who makes watches, they have a reason why they make it in a specific in a specific way. And I don't think it's right or wrong to say that oh, a CNC watch is better than a handmade watch. I I, I think it's some um, just strange way to look at it. Maybe we should. I completely look, agree. Yeah, we should then look more on a watch. Oh yeah, these parts are CNC made. Uh, there are some parts here. Because it's a, a small series watches, so then it's perhaps more cost-effective to make some parts by hand rather than engaging an expensive CNC machine to just make five parts. So it, it yeah. can, uh, making parts by hand can sometimes actually be more economical, and uh, uh, that therefore you can keep a more competitive price. So it's a very complex question, actually. It is, and I think I have nothing against CNC because it, it it doesn't change the quality. I mean, especially if they're going to be hand finished afterwards and and yep. checked and everything, it, it's still machined out. Um, the only and and there is an advantage because you can produce more with CNC. Yeah. Uh, and there isn't many people out there completely hand making watches. Like I, I I don't know how many you could name, but like George Daniels was one of them, and then there's. Um, like Grubel Forzi did a handmade one recently. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't one person either. That was a no, group of people. That was, that, was a, that was a brains trust, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a lot of different specialists handmaking yeah. to, to put that together. So there's not many people that can do it. There is a few. Um, there's a few doing it, but it's, yeah, very rare. And I think the only advantage of completely handmade is there's not going to be many of them. It's going to be very rare. Yeah. And I suppose it could be more valuable, but... It wouldn't change the quality. I mean, CNC. There's most independent, really good independent watchmakers out there are utilizing CNC. Um, yeah. Just just to make the the basic, the raw component. There's a lot that goes into that afterwards to to finish yeah. that off. Well, I suppose so, also with the, the use of you know CAD and stuff like that, it's it, it, it makes things easier. They can design something, see if it works. Because yes. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I think hand like the actual term handmade applies, you know, specifically to the what is it, the Naissance du Mont from Grubel Forcey. I yeah, think that right. that's completely applicable. That is one hundred percent handmade, hand turned machines, hand turned lathes, that sort of thing. No CNC. Yeah. And yeah. then on the other hand, you've got uh, uh, like Ocelon. You know, they yeah. do 
a lot exactly. of hand, handmade stuff as well, but some CNC uh, manufacturing. So, mm-hmm. and it's, but the, the big thing I think more than anything else is that they're completely original design. Uh, yep. every, everything is original. Yeah, exactly. Now, that's a good, good question, Horoptimus. Um, and then Pippi adds, Pippi adds, uh, and 3D printing as well in that question. There's not much 3D printing done so far, is there, in watchmaking? It's only, there's, there's, it's, it's starting yeah, it's, to become um, a thing. I think it starts slowly now. Um, yeah. I think in watchmaking, it's, it's still rather difficult. And I don't know if you're, how, for example, if you, buy uh, high quality steel and then you use a cnc machine or or you machine it uh, manually it doesn't matter uh, yeah. the steel has a known uh, structure but what happens if you're 3d printing metal wouldn't if you're if you're using la- if you're printing steel layer by layer wouldn't the structure of the steel be uh, uh, different compared to if you if you mill it from a, a block of solid metal for example yeah yeah my so first thought know. with yeah exactly my first thought with 3d printing is always this this image of a slightly porous material that it's yeah. It's, yeah. it's lacking strength um and but the, the advancements in technology strength. could change that yeah 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 uh, i think I mean, the, the 3d printing in, in metal obviously is you know very extremely difficult and very limited but i think a, a lot of companies have been 3d printing uh, cases and uh, components in using a yep. wax. Um, yep. so I remember visiting Cartier years and years ago, and they had a lot of three D printed cases in wax or a type mm. of wax, so they could see how it can fit it together. Ah, uh, yeah. See, for prototyping, it's great. Yeah, that's so yeah. That's, I that's, mean, that's incredible. My brother did that recently with a case. Um, he's he's actually three D printed. Had had a few cases printed in different designs just to see how they'll to see what they'll be like on the wrist so the yeah for, for, mark one or no this is for his own <laughs> but but oh, eventually okay. eventually with his with my chronograph that's how i'm gonna gonna do it basically you're gonna go in stages you, you start with the 3d printing and then you go up to maybe a cheaper material and then or maybe yeah. just go from 3d printing to the material you want to use in the even, end yeah even machinery. make a brass case first or something yeah, like yep. if the CAD if the CAD design is already done, then it doesn't really you can just go directly to the next material. So, yeah, my brother also he uh, he just recently also three D printed a case that he's making for a <coughs> he's gonna make us um, um, a case in white gold for on Ulysses Dan uh, chronometer movement, very old one that was uh, used for uh, chronometer competitions. Your brother and, Kai. Yeah, Kai, he then oh. uh, got a request to uh, uh, case up that watch. So he's going to ah. make by hand this uh, white gold case. And then he nice. 3D printed the design before. So that's a very great use, I think. Nice. Well, I suppose it's for, for material cost as well. I mean, if it doesn't work out, you, you haven't just milled out, you know, 200 grams worth of gold or platinum oh, yeah. that's now in exactly. swarth on the lathe, you know. That's... Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, speaking of Kai, we can spend a couple of minutes. Kai, Kai your, your, your brother that you, you trained at Wostep, he's he, he made a tourbillon movement, a rectangular tourbillon, well, a tourbillon watch. Yeah. Um, 
he's going through some um, making some adjustments to it at the moment. I think I, w- I was hoping to see it last year, but he'd already he he had it uh, somewhere else and he dis- disassembled it and was going to make some adjustments. But um, yeah, exactly. that is one of those that is one of those pieces that if I had the if I had the money, that would probably be one of the first things I would get in 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 independent watchmaking because it's it's only one one piece made so far, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, a true piece that's, unique. Yeah, yeah, that's also really handmade. Yeah, it is. I was going to say that. A tourbillon, yeah. rectangular movement with a tourbillon, handmade. And people could probably Google Kai Corpella, K-A-J Corpella, um, yeah. and you'll find you'll find an article on it somewhere. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. And, he's, and he still has that, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's still... Um... I don't know what he's exactly doing with it, but uh, mm. he said he's going to make some modifications somewhere. But yep. yeah, I don't know exactly in detail what he's doing with it. That would be amazing to acquire. Yeah. Um, Forgive me for asking, Henrik. Is there yeah. anything? Do you have anything in the in the works that you're any projects you're thinking of doing? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. I've been actually uh, rather busy on my free time in between teaching and so on with. Um, a project that I started maybe one and a half, two years ago or so, and um, I'm hoping to do. It's it's not a, a, a watch from absolute scratch or anything. It's uh, a watch that I would like to modify. Or actually, I got quite far, but I haven't shown anything on Instagram or or anywhere of it yet uh, because I want to see how it turns out in the end with all the applied finish. Yeah. So, so it's basically just a vintage 50s, 60s, 30 millimeter movement. Uh, yeah, I guess that's not really a secret. It's actually Omega 286 caliber. Oh, they were great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love them. And, oh, we've seen, yeah. we've seen, uh, is it, uh, oh, I've forgotten the name. The uh, Out of Barcelona, I think it is. Atelier de Chronometer. Yes, yes. yes. Yep. yep. That type of watchmaking I also really uh, uh, love, actually, um, because then you don't have to do everything from scratch, which is very, very time-consuming. And it means that instead of spending years making only one watch, you could make a few per year. Yes. And And you've uh, got a tried and tested mechanism, and and of course it will be... um, more cost effective as well yes. and and that's and that's the same sort of approach that Christian Lass has taken he's taken a an existing gear train from a I think a vintage yeah. Girard Perigo um, exactly and made all the bridges and everything and, and and it's yeah it's it's I think it's a fantastic way of making something yeah Christian yeah. Christian's got a beautiful watch there's a there's yeah. a, there was one thing on there that concerned me about his though with the where the how the hairspring is pinned and you've just got mm-hmm. this separate bridge Holding the hairspring, it's very unique. Yeah, I like it. That'd be a pain in the ass in a service centre. <laughs> <laughs> it probably won't end up in a service centre anyway. No, that's for sure. That's the first yeah. thing I saw it. So that just, that just says how jaded I am. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah no, so what are you? What? How are you progressing with yours, Henrik? What's? Uh, so it's. Uh, I have reached uh, um, uh, the final stage. I'm just uh, uh, making. Um, uh, kind of a how do you say a brand logo right now yep. and that's the last part modification that I'm making on it and the rest is actually just finishing 
Yep. So uh, the, all the mod for example, some modifications that I did was I uh, redesigned uh, my own uh, yoke spring because it's this cheap flat wire spring there right now. Yep. If you remember on the Omega 30 millimeters, yes. they are all the same. And and this that always bothered me, not because of the function. The function never fails. It's fine, but it kind of uh, stands out and it kind of feels a little bit cheap to have such a, a flat uh, wire spring there. So I really Visually, it could yeah. be better. It could definitely yeah. be improved. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I, I then just designed a classical uh, flat steel spring with, uh, with a screw. So it's screwed down, so it's properly uh, made. So And yep. with my own kind of uh, uh, curve to it so that it also looks, uh, in my opinion, nicer anyway. Yeah, and another modification I did was the um, uh, click spring. The same thing there. You have this cheap round wire spring now. Um, yep. it works perfectly, but yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't visually look appealing. So I also made my own screw down uh, flat spring there, classical uh, spring. Yeah, and uh, uh, and then I also decided to uh, change because it doesn't have any jewels for the the. Um, uh, the barrel and center wheel, so I dual those. Yeah, that's something that I I always like. Whenever I see a movement that's dualed in the center and barrel, that that's like that's that's high grade, and that's yeah, why yeah. I've done it with mine. So I've already I've already done it with my chronograph as well, and that was a must. I just thought yeah, service service yeah. wise, it's so much more appealing to disassemble a watch and know that there was a jewel in in yeah. the barrel and center wheel as well. It's, exactly. um, it might yeah. sound like a small, simple thing, but it, it's going to improve the functionality of that for years. Yeah, you, you've added yeah. years onto the life of that movement. So, and it's it's a yeah. worthy upgrade, and it shouldn't be overlooked. Small, sometimes sometimes the little things are actually the bigger things. Yeah, yeah. like just just a couple of jewels. Like I remember, I remember Paul in Wostep, um, Henrik, telling yeah. us when we were working on the eight six, the Omega eight six one or the eighteen sixty one, however you want to yeah. look at it. Um, he said, "If if if they only just yep, <laughs> you know, it, it's a great it's a great movement. But if they only just added some jewels to the center wheel, not just not the barrel, even just the, just the center wheel, how much better would it would be? It would be a. Can you imagine if they had done that back then and did a center wheel and barrel jeweled? That'd be how many more be... speedmasters would would still be running? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, the longevity I, of that I, movement. I'm the only watchmaker. I hate that movement, Michael." Hate that. Yeah, I see, I, it's ugly. I don't, I don't mind it, but um, I suppose the three two one, the Omega three two one version, and like some of Vacheron did a few beautiful examples of it, and they just yep. take it to the next level. But yeah, it's, yeah. I, I still don't, still, I still prefer <laughs> the Valju over that any day. It's oh yeah, of course yeah. I do too. Yeah. That's why I picked the Valju. Um, it's yeah, the uh, the the A six one is an acquired taste. Like you have to service it a few times to get used to it. I suppose. Oh yeah. <laughs> But that that would also be a perfect project to to uh, modify and improve. Exactly. In fact, in fact, someone in Australia is doing that, I believe. Oh, nice. Very yeah, nice. he's he's actually upgrading his. He has got jewels that he uses. I think it's who is who is doing that, John. He was on the he was on one of the podcasts. Um, yeah, that's um, uh, Adam. Is it Adam in Perth? Yeah, Amiga Specialist. Yeah, so he's actually he's adding jewels to the center wheel and barrel, I think for the for the 
the eight six one. Yeah, mm. which is a great idea. So he he, he basically up gives it an upgrade. Speaking of which, there's a there's a company I follow on Instagram, um, and they they actually have the 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 barrel completely bought, completely jeweled um, on the six four nine eight movement. Like, so the barrel is jeweled as well, top and bottom. Yep. Like I've even on my own panel, I jeweled the the base plate because that's a very weak point. But finding a jewel the correct size, like that's oh, yeah. a huge jewel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're you're talking about the barrel arbor. So in barrel the bridge arbor. and the yep, the whole yeah, yeah it's top yeah, bottom, it's just incredible. Yep. Like, I think some of those some of those jewels that's why they weren't put there because they're they they would have been difficult to come across, and you have to specially make them, have them made. You you, you could employ you could you could you could. Um, order from a specialist jewel maker to to order you know to to make specific size jewels I suppose um, but some of those would be have to be quite large like I know the it was difficult to find the right size jewels for the the Valju twenty two that I've done yeah um, well that's a great movement too I wish someone yeah that it's a beautiful size you know for modern modern taste it, it's a fantastic size movement yeah exactly and I had to and then and then the jewel wasn't didn't fit the fit the arbor and the center wheel perfectly, so I had to actually modify um, center wheel. Yeah, and the oh. and the arbor. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I couldn't I couldn't take any more out of the jewel because it was already thin. It was already a wide <laughs> a wide. It was already a wide outer diameter, but but the yeah. the inner diameter was almost as wide. It was, it was it's a big. So it's, I wasn't going to be modifying the jewels of it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, so oh, um, no, looking forward to that, Henrik. Seeing that further, Henrik, in the next few in the few near future. Exactly. So, and and another funny thing that I did uh, as well because I found in my own jewel stocks here in the school, um, I found um, posts, ruby posts. I have no clue what they use them for, but <laughs> they happen to have exactly the perfect size for the minute post so now the oh, wow. post, which is really cool i remember that is that on awesome. like vintage anycar or something on the on the minute wheel they have a yeah, really yeah. yeah i can't remember if it was anycar or i don't think it was it wasn't vintage long jeans it was someone they had a yeah a ruby post yeah i thought yeah. that was incredible that's taking yeah. it to the next level then like it's one thing yeah. to jewel the center but to, but to have jewels on the posts for the for the exactly. dial side wheels, wow! Yeah, I was just lucky to have exactly the right size for that. So, um, so you didn't have to modify anything; it just fit perfectly. Yeah, well, uh, I had to ream open maybe one or two hundred the, the of the wheel. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, very, yeah. Very, okay, almost perfect. That's that's fantastic. That's that's fortunate. Yeah. Very lucky. Yeah, uh, very very. That then, oh, uh, okay. I'm I'm looking. I'm following. I'm going to look forward to following that, your that progress with that. Question then too about lubrication for that as well. Different oh, materials, yeah. like that's a whole other whole other thing. No. Yeah, exactly. Well, what would you put there? Would you just put a heavy, heavy, heavy oil? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I haven't actually decided. I have no clue. <laughs> have to do uh, some <laughs> yeah, yeah. For some some testing exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, but I'm. It's it's gonna be way better than having a brass pulse, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, yeah. If, I, if something if something isn't serviced for a number of years and it's neglected, then that post can can wear very easily. 
Yeah, exactly. And if if it's a ruby, the ruby will just burnish the the blue steel, the the carbon <laughs> steel that the pinion is made from. Exactly. The wear will be minimal, even without uh, oil. The wear will be minimal. Yeah, that's that's ideal, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. It's a small detail, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the watchmaking is detail, so I think it's still uh, nice. And it usually takes a lot of effort to take it to that extra, that, that to add that extra detail too. Like there's a diff, there's a massive difference between something that is finished off nicely, really nicely, and finished off yep. just okay. Like the difference is yep. huge. I'm sure there's and plenty of watchmakers though. You look at a movement and you're like, if only they did this, and I'd love it. Yep. You know. Yeah, and and I think that's the case with most watches. You can always see something that you could improve on. Yeah, we can um, see where the accountants took over and they had to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this then, is a bit uh, of a... Yeah, sorry, yeah. keep going. And then uh, uh, I'm also open working the movement, so... Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm opening up the area for the barrel so that you can see through and you can see the mainspring through the, um, the ratchet wheel and so on, um, <laughs> as well as... Uh, some parts of the gear train have also opened a little bit so you can see the gears in the gear train as well as the balance so you can see the balance through uh, the dial side as well so it's uh, yeah a bit skeletonized as well yeah that's that's something that i would love to do one day yeah is open work open work um yeah yeah it's amazing it's not always to everyone's taste but it's incredible to look at and the the skill involved is huge the work the the time involved is huge yeah yeah that uh who's the first person that you think of for open work michael i think of philip nobel same straight away as soon as i think of that because i've communicated with him quite a bit and he shared a lot of information on how he does it um and oh, he's been quite open to questions for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's he's fantastic. Yeah, sends a lot of information through to me. willing to share. They're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I think I mentioned you to, him to you, Henrik, at one stage. He's positioned, uh, I want to say, south south of Neuchatel somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he does incredible open work. Yeah, it's it's. I also follow him. It's insane work. It it's is, really yeah. Cool. Yeah. Was it Rob? There was another guy that I follow called, I don't know if you follow him, Kusenier. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We've got another question here from from someone. He's actually one of the hosts. This this is a bit of a smart smart ass question. Roman asks, how easy was it for Henrik to kick Michael's ass in Wostep? <laughs> <laughs> and and to be honest, I just I, I I replied to him and said, I'm sure it wasn't that easy. Um, <laughs> I I think I think we were just so competitive. I don't think I don't think there was any winners or losers in the course. Um, ah. I think we just I think there was like some people had. Like there were some subjects that we were stronger on than others. I think and... you scored higher than me on average anyway. Did I? The average was higher for you, I think. Don't tell him that, Henrik. Don't tell him that. <laughs> I've already got a big head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we... Um... Good, because you guys had someone to push. You guys pushed each other. 
Yeah, exactly. That's and a friendly competition. It's and as long as there's no animosity and stuff like that, that's that's actually quite a valuable thing to have at at school. Yeah, exactly. I'm just oh, going to yeah. take a quick break to let my dog out. Okay, so we come back. <laughs> just a few minutes. Classic one. <laughs> yep, authentic. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, his his filing is just incredible. By the way, for this Philip Norbal, he's incredibly skilled with his filing. Yeah, it's a, like some of the some of the interior interior angles he achieves. That's uh, totally insane. Yeah. There's um I've forgotten her name. Uh, her name's Natalie. Uh, she does a lot of hand finishing as well. She lives in Neuchatel. Yeah. Natalie Jean Louis, I think her name is. I can't remember. But I follow her on Instagram as well. And um, yeah, she was doing an online course, I think, as well over Zoom last year, but. Yeah, it's 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 so difficult here, Henrik, to just buy you know decent files and, and parts and stuff like that. It's yeah. yeah, we're at the end of the earth. I'm sure Michael would agree. It's so difficult to buy stuff here. Yeah, and you have also quite high, I heard, the import taxes if you want to buy uh, uh, Swiss machines. As well. Yeah, everything's taxed here. Yep, it used to be yeah. anything over a thousand dollars, but now it's anything and everything. Oh yeah. So um. I'm back. So Roman also asks a serious question. <laughs> does, does the industry still require watchmakers who know how to do everything or is the demand mainly for technicians for assembling or polishing? Is the, like, is the industry moving backwards or forwards in this respect? Um, I, yeah. I would I, think I would think that it's moving forward. I think I think there's a demand for technicians because of the amount of watches out there to service. But I think there's such an understanding of of making as well yeah. that there's a lot of independent watchmakers coming out now, isn't there? Um, and it's, it's not necessarily needed, but it's a it's like a it's like a um, a passion, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I, I guess it's not. Uh a huge need or anything but uh, I mean it, it's not that long time ago that Grubel and Force started to make their own handmade watch but that's a, an entire brand right yeah and uh, that, that's a kind of sign uh, for what's coming and then uh, when I heard uh, and, and this is something that many people maybe are not aware of um uh, when my brother explained his um, what he was working with in this uh, famous brand, huge brand like Rolex, but not Rolex, yeah, they were making almost entire watches by hand. They were making the gear trains, the barrel, everything by hand for a, a, a short series of watches, so maybe only uh, twenty pieces or, or so. But really. They had, yeah, and they had a department with around, I don't know, eight or ten watchmakers, and they had to figure out really how to make gear trains, pinions, and and uh, 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 bridges and so on uh, by hand. So, And they uh, then had to actually invest buying all these classical machines that I have in my school. Ah. And this so they is weren't just... Like Rolex, they but were... not... Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know who it is. I know who it is, yeah. but they they weren't just prototyping; they were actually making small yeah. series pieces. Yeah, yeah, small series that nobody ever hear about. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's just incredible. And 
Yeah, it's a pity that uh, people don't know how incredible things they do. Of course, they also do mass manufactured watches, but but that they don't market this and show pictures of people using these manual machines and so on. It would be incredible. That's incredible. I mean, that is yeah. that this brand is is similar to Rolex. It's so big. It, yeah. It's it's almost like saying that Rolex have made. 20 unique like varied pieces of one one watch for one year yeah. or something like it's like if as if rolex went and did that they had master watchmakers hand making yeah a yeah. small series of that's incredible that is and then you would need to know all these skills how to make a handmade watch yeah of course if you part of that I, uh, department i think there's value in both i think because I know brands that have had to, they were desperate to actually service the amount of watches they had to service and they had to just train up basic technicians for disassembly and assembly in certain areas of the watch just yeah. just to meet the demand of the amount of watches that were out there to be serviced. Um, but then at the same time, they still had fully trained watchmakers uh, for quality control, or, uh, you know, overseeing the these, these um, assembly rooms. Yeah. Um, so I think it's I think it's I think it's moving forward somehow. I just think there's a better awareness of there's there's more education out there and people understand more about how watches are made. And so I yeah. think naturally it's moving forward towards more more uh, exactly. unique unique pieces. Yeah. Um. Our 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 presidente, the founder of Fifth Wrist. Yeah. Um. He Alex, he asked, what was Henrik's first impressions of a young Michael Woods? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I can't remember the like when we first met. It would have obviously been day one of Woestep. Like um I I, I I don't recall when we clicked, you and I, because you and I like you and I like like I, I, I can not see you for three years and I'll I'll catch up with you in Switzerland. It's like we haven't been apart for yeah, at yeah. all. Like it just just straight away, like we're we're I'm, I'm so close. But what what was? Do you remember your first thoughts of me? <laughs> um, what could I have been thinking back then? I would probably think of you. Oh my God, this is here is some competitor or something. <laughs> That's exactly the same age. And everything. Well, I was yeah. probably. Thinking yeah, if I was Australian, I would probably be you or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like some someone that pretty much just wants to kill the opposition, the competitor, like someone else that's competing against him. Like an evil twin or something in watchmaking <laughs> from the other side of the planet. I remember I got bitten by a bee in the first <laughs> in the first in the. <laughs> At school, in the, in the first no, in the first few days of being in Neuchatel, I was at the beach, and I'm not sure if Henrik was with me at the time. I'm, I can't remember, but I got bitten on the back of the leg by a bee. Neuchatel does not have a beach, Michael. It has a, it has a beach. It has a lake, and it's like it's 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 it has a like for a, for a lake. It's a like it's it's close to a beach on a lake that you can get. <laughs> but anyway, there was sand. And yep. um, I got bitten on the back of the leg, and for the first week of Wastep, I could barely walk to school. And and even walking up the steps at, like obviously there's a lot of steps that go from Wastep up to our accommodation, but yep. walking the steps within Wastep in the building was difficult. My knee locked up because of this bee sting. Oh my God. And um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember that. You probably don't. <laughs> no, no, that's yeah, I don't remember. I probably hid it. I probably hid it from everyone because it would have seemed like a weakness. <laughs> I, was, I was probably sweating profusely and just like grunting, but like people just thought I was like, you know, just competitive. And <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Pippi asks, when was the last time you were on the floor looking for a part? Oh, yeah. Um, this morning? <laughs> no, nah, not this morning, but it's a long time now. Sometimes I drop parts, but yeah, it's very rare, I would oh, say. Oh, really? Yeah. I dropped a part today. Luckily, it was a barrel lid. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, lucky, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a big, big silver. Well, it was. It's actually I was working on a very, very small uh, Rolex movement. One of the smallest ones I've ever worked on is like thirteen mil diameter. Yeah, yeah. Um, thirteen millimeters. But um, yeah, I, I actually said to him, it's that's pretty common for watchmakers to drop parts. Most, most, at least once a week, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, occasionally I also drop parts, and like everybody else. Um, but I don't remember it. Yeah, it's at least a few weeks ago before yeah, the Christmas yeah. holidays started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I swear, yeah. every every workshop has a black hole. You drop something in, you yeah. lose it, and it's gone forever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you leave it yeah, up. there are some parts that just don't. Yeah, I mean, I remember once at at Rolex, there was a um one of the there's a there's actually a picture. Someone took a picture. I don't know who it was. It might have been Rory. Took a picture of another watchmaker looking like in my pocket of my um, white coat in the breast pocket with his tweezers and looking down in it because we'd we'd figured that the part had dropped into my pocket on my coat. And so he was like, and yeah, someone was quick enough to take a picture of this and this person in there in my pocket with tweezers. So. <laughs> nice. Also, what from Pippi as well, what movements do you like or dislike working on? Are there any that you can think of? <clears throat> Uh, I I have never yeah maybe when I was younger I I would maybe look different on movement but I I don't really look uh, I guess I just work with whatever movement I have it doesn't really matter I don't like or dislike any special movement or any type of work in watchmaking yeah. uh, maybe when I was younger. I would have looked up to uh, Rolex movement. Oh, wow, they're so nice and so on. And yes. then maybe look down on some cheaper movements. That's, yep. I'm sure I was like that when I was a younger watchmaker. But today, uh, it's more the work to accomplish a good work independent of what kind of uh, movement I happen to work on. I don't really care anymore much about those kind of things. Yeah, because you can apply a certain quality of work to any quality movement. Any level of movement, yeah, really. Absolutely. Yeah. In the end, yep. I mean, we have to service the client. Yes, you know? exactly. So it shouldn't matter if it's a Seiko or a Rolex. It, they are quality the same. I've said the same before. I've said I treat, I treat every watch pretty much the same because it could be very important to that client, where even if it's a, a, a watch that's inexpensive compared yep. to a, a rare yes watch you know i still they it's it's important to them and they're investing their money in me to do a good job so i don't want to damage anything and and yeah, um, yeah. have that watch lose any value or or, or appeal to that person so I, yeah. I think yeah it's interesting that yeah i sort of look at it the same way 
I don't know if I dislike any movements in particular. There's probably a couple I dislike. I just I wouldn't want to work on, but um, yeah, I probably don't end up working on them anyway. I managed to avoid them, so <laughs> yeah. You're in a position you can kind of be a bit choosy, Michael, or yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's enough enough uh, work coming my way that um, and, and varied work that I can yeah I can sort of say that well I don't specialize in that in that type of work and yep. so it's best to best to take it somewhere else but i remember yeah. my my teacher at woe step um he, he said treat every watch as if it was your own mm. that's yeah. very good yeah. so you, you service the watch as if it's you own it it's your watch like yeah i naturally do that actually you know i think yeah. about it sometimes and think oh i'm I sometimes I think I stop and I think I'm wasting my time. I'm putting too much. Like yep. sometimes I think I'm wasting going, going um, yeah, being too particular about certain things. And I think that some people might just be able to get through this service a lot quicker and and you know get the same result. But I'm yeah, I, I have to stop myself sometimes and because I can get very particular with certain things and um, I think yeah, I can't help it. Know when to stop? There's no, there's only so much. You- like you know you you can't you're not going to turn a st96 into a chronometer no you know no although although, although our, you could get close <laughs> yeah i know i know our teacher at, at wastep was um he had a i don't know if you recall this henrik paul had a swatch watch and it had an eta eta2824 in it yeah very reliable movement and he was he wanted to challenge himself to see how well a timekeeper he could make it. And he yeah. did a lot of work to that. And he dynamically poised that balance so that it was keeping – it was was within a, within a second a day or something like that. Yeah, it was um, incredible. And it was a swatch watch. Yeah. yeah. Because he was, he was dedicated to timing in particular because I remember yeah. towards the end of our course, he wanted to dedicate as much – he wanted to get through all the other stages of the course just so at the end he could dedicate like – an entire month almost, I think, to just timing. Yeah, yeah. And so we were doing a lot of dynamic poising, working with hairsprings. Um, that was that was great, great experience. Um, but yeah, so you can turn you can turn an average movement into a an amazing timekeeper if yeah, everything's okay. right with if it. If you want to dedicate the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So um, have you got any other questions, John? I've got one actually. I thought yeah. before. Um, so we're talking before because there's, there's quite a few students I think that have gone through Henrik's school and gone on to do their own brand or um, do their own thing. But is yeah. there any? Because uh, there's quite a lot of um, young talent out there, very talented uh, young men and women that are creating some incredible watches. Um, is there anyone that Henrik could advise for up and coming? The students or anyone to keep an eye on in for the future yeah anyone... there is one uh, uh, right now that i'm thinking about um bradley taylor oh yes, yes. yep yeah yeah and he he used to work together with a, another student who also went through the who were in the same class as him and they created oh yes charles yeah and um, and but uh, something happened uh, this uh, last year, 2020. I don't know. They had economical struggles and so on, and separated. But he just now came out uh, with his own watch. It's not a handmade watch, or I don't think so anyway. But it's very very uh, beautifully designed, 
and uh, have a look Bradley Taylor on uh, it, it's beautiful it's, it's yeah, yeah. Brigade, simple Breguet numerals um, and it's a micro rotor movement um, probably from Vorshier um, yeah it is Vorshier yeah, and it's and it's a fantastic design. It's like some yeah, sometimes yeah. I think watchmakers try and do too much and change too much with the design, which you've got to, you have to appreciate. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to say that it's great because that's that's how great creations are made when people try and go out of the comfort zone. But yeah. but sometimes just coming back to something simple like like what he's done, but he's done it well. Though. That's the thing. What people like, like like you see what Rexep um, Rexepi oh. did. Rickshep, with a Crivia, they had a, he, he originally designed something that was a little bit unique, and then eventually came back the, with the chronometer uh, contemporary. Yep. And and it, and all of a sudden he got noticed because it was a beautifully simple watch, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's the case here too to a certain extent like it's, it's, oh, it's it looks looks fantastic. Rickshep got got noticed I think a little bit before the. Contemporary uh, chronometric contemporary came out with a creeper, but they were utilizing base plates and some other components that were already available, I think. And then, yeah, you know, actually doing his original design using something that was already existing. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the industry tries to shame people for doing that because if I was going to start a brand, that's exactly what I'd be doing going to yeah. Valsha, a case maker, have you an original doll? Yeah. But- you know, it's unfortunately, <laughs> I haven't got the the win the lottery to do that. But yeah, you know. and it's fu- it's funny because I was following a Crivia before the the chronometer uh, was oh, made, yeah. yep. and and it's and I knew I knew about them, um, but I think he just they just blew up when he made the he the the new design. And I but I think I think now I can, I actually I look at his older stuff now, their older stuff, and I actually like the look of that. Like I, I would, it's I more would appealing. Fly. Yeah, exactly. Is that also because you've met him as well? Because I, I, I've looked at his brand completely different now that I've met him as well. Yeah, I do. Yep. Yeah, I look at it differently because I met him. But I think because now that I just, I, I can look at all of his work and just say, well, actually, those earlier designs are actually a little bit, they're they're different. And I tend to go for something that's a little different or that people aren't focusing on. And so, yeah, they're a little bit more unique the the original designs. So, yeah, there's yeah. a few nuances that you pick up now that you look back and yep. There's, yep. there's, a, there's a, a another brand that comes to mind that I've noticed recently. That's um, uh, is, is I'll quickly get my phone. Sorry. Um. So their their brand is called Cremain. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Killian is, and uh, I've, I've forgotten his partner's name, the his business partner. But what they're doing is incredible as well. Yeah, like really good work. Education requires to do that. The investment as well, uh, personal investment would have been huge. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing what they come out with in the next few years. Yeah, it's fantastic work. Yeah, I like the uh, frosting on the dial side. It's amazing. Yeah, very, very reminiscent of very much a Grubel Force feel to it, but yep. yeah, but you still got their own original, you know. I think they've got a 20 second remontoire in it as well. I think I can't remember, but um, no, what they've done is yeah, I love it. I think it's absolutely beautiful. There's some, yeah. there's some great work out there. Um, 
So do we want to? We'll move towards. We'll start wrapping up and move towards Instagram recommendations. Have you? Sure. Do you happen to have any recommendation, Henry? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of sad because I have many recommendations, and I'm sure I will forget uh, to mention some. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's the biggest problem here. But a few. Yeah, Bradley, Bradley Taylor, of course. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Then I also wanted to mention. Um, Gustafsson och Sjögren watches, uh, or short for GOS watches. Oh yes, yep. Uh, Swedish watchmaker who who went together with a metal uh, worker who make this kind of uh, what do you call it uh, folded steel. Yeah, like Damascus sort of. Um, Damascus, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's funny um, because I knew about them and I wasn't following them until now. So. Uh, yeah. That's weird that I wasn't following them. Yeah, now I look yes. at them, I've, I've realized I've seen them before, but it didn't. Yep. Yeah. Watches as well. Yep. Um, who else? Um, I like the concept how they approach watchmaking. Uh, Struthers. I don't know if you have heard about them. Struthers. Struthers. Yes. Yeah, it's British. Yes. Yeah. Rebecca yeah. and. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Rebecca Struthers. Yep. Yes, exactly. Struthers Watchmakers and also Rebecca Struthers and Craig Struthers. They've got their own individual accounts, but Struthers Watchmakers. Um, they, they, yeah, I, like that appeals to me something like that as well because they are really, they're putting a lot of hand on, hands-on work, limited production. A lot of manual training too. Yeah, using a lot of um, really good calibers as base calibers. Um, yeah, I, I think that's cool. Actually, yeah, it'd be great to have her on the show, her and Craig. Get, yeah, be, yeah be that's, good. A, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, it's funny because they're doing like a, a modern twist on the English watchmaking as well. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't particularly like the English style, George Daniels. <gasps> Shock horror to everyone. But, yeah, um, what the I, hell? Yeah, it's, mm, I don't like it. So, but their their stuff is yeah a little bit more modern twist, and Garrick are doing something similar as well, a bit more modern. But yeah, um, yeah, incredible, like huge respect for them too. Like what they yeah. do. Yeah, and before and anyone, yeah, before anyone um, uh, criticizes us um, for having more than one Instagram recommendation from Henrik, I only oh. do. I only do I only do one show every like few months, so I can. I'm sure we can we can we can cram in more. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You've got someone else? Uh, yeah, yeah. This one um, is really uh, cool to follow. Uh, Jacob Curtis, under the name J. Roland C. And I notice he doesn't have many followers. That's very strange because what he puts out, it's incredibly interesting work. It's restoration work and finishing at the same time. Yeah. Check that nice out. one. Incredible, yeah. I, I'm looking at it now. That is... He should have way more followers. Thank you. Yeah, there's, that's the funny thing. There is these people that have not been recognized yet and they're just hiding in Instagram and waiting to be found. That's Yeah, that's incredible restoration work. Yeah. I mean, you see some of the movements that are corroded and... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, nice. even even with Rolex, like he's... Yeah. Wow, that's a good one. Thank you. And then, of course, um, you have uh, Atelier de Chronometrie. Oh, yeah. 
always yeah, up power. Always, always great to see. Like the, the, the split second chronograph they made was incredible. Um, yeah. All all of this stuff is incredible. I, to be honest, if I bought one of their pieces, I would probably go for the like one of their really classic um, oh, designs. Yeah, they did some oh. beautiful, beautiful dials in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm even looking at the AEDC number seven. Yeah, they even did their own. Uh, the uh, they've got a. Um, I spoke to them about it. Their Coast de Chenev. They call it their Coast de Chenev ninety degrees. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's just a just a twist on you know the traditional Geneva stripes, but still beautiful yep. and done done extremely well. Yeah, they're finishing, and they're the 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 the. Uh, movement design and then the dial design is it's all incredible yeah for sure. i could Very i nice. could own a number of their watches yeah and don't worry henrik if you forget anyone i'm sure they'll understand because usually people come on and they only have one one recommendation anyway so but um yeah you gave us gave us a few there that are good really yeah, good yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I can't help. As I'm talking, I'm scrolling through their, their Instagram, just looking at the, yeah, like even the images they take. Because they're, they're scrolling their pages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to buy one of their watches now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, John, who do you recommend? Uh, I mentioned them before, but I've, uh, I've actually reached out to them and for some advice and a few ideas and stuff like that, which is the Ocelon. Ocelon, uh, yeah. Ocelon, yeah. They, they, they like for... For talking about original ideas, you know, yeah, yeah, go and definitely go and check them out. So they're um, on Instagram. They are uh, O S C I double L O N uh, underscore Watch. Yeah, yeah they should have more followers, frankly, <laughs> for what they do. Yeah, because yeah. they they are actually hand making everything pretty much, aren't they? Yeah, if you're in like traditional finishing, but modern twists and modern designs, like their yep. their balance wheel is something like it looks like something Viani Halter would do. I'll be it's very to different to talk about that before we log off. They have exactly the same jig bore I have in the school. Oh, do they? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible too. Yeah. So we should definitely mention that, Michael. The um, what's that? Uh, Vienna Halters, new deep space. Oh yes, we'll have to talk about that. I'll just uh, my recommendation is he he actually teaches with the Horological Society of New York, um, and I he taught with me um, in Melbourne when he he travelled from from the US uh, the start of last year. It was yeah, and yeah. Um, his his Instagram is. Uh, Steve underscore the underscore watchmaker, and his name's Steve Eagle, and so he's yeah he's a he's a great guy, and um, I was fortunate to be his assistant teacher um, for a weekend of of their their courses. Very nice. Yeah, very good teacher. Fantastic. Yeah. Like the way he taught that that course because it was a course on assembling and disassembling the the uh, 6498. Yep. And he's another one of those guys that just, he, perfect, he perfected it the way he taught it. Like it was it was very easy to understand and they've got a great setup where they, even the benches they use, Henrik, they travel with these uh, carbon fiber benches 
Um, yeah. They can travel all around the world and assemble the things and they, 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 they design them themselves. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it wasn't made in titanium. And then this honeycomb uh, happened to it to make them very Maybe it was. Maybe very it was, nice. yeah. Fantastic. I helped disassemble the benches at the end as well. And it was like, these are these are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's based in the US, Michael? Yes, he is. Okay, so if yeah, I, 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 they could probably reach out to him. And if they're living in the States, they could reach out to him for career advice, possibly. Possibly. Yep. Possibly, yeah. He's, he, he um, yeah, I, I went, my brother and I, when we were in New York last January, went out for a drink with he and, uh, and Vincent. From the horological society, we had a tour of the their building, and then we went out for a drink. Um, yeah, great, great people um, with that organisation. So I don't yeah. know if anyone else does this, but you know when you. So I just looked him up, and he follows a couple of other same people. There's a right. Yeah, I can't do another shout out because they're next time. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Save it. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about the Viani Halter um, quickly. Yeah, because that so, came out earlier this week, right? Yeah, right. so the resonance with the the two balances. Have you have you had a chance to see much of that, Henrik? Or no, not at all. I just heard about it now. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Right. So it's on fifth wrist. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So deep deep space tourbillon, um, but he's 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 changed it to a resonance. Yeah, with Very. two balance wheels, obviously. Um, Within the tourbillon carriage, um, it's yeah, it's just crazy. crazy. I mean, I haven't even had enough time to dis like disassemble it in my mind to to figure it out how it's how it's how it goes together. But it's um yeah, it looks it looks spectacular initially. So yeah, what are your thoughts, John? Oh, I think I think Vianney's. It's very funny because he came out with the um, collaboration he did with uh, Louis Arad. And it kind of threw everyone off the scent a little bit. Yep, yep. I don't know if that was a tactical thing or business. I, I don't know if that was in the works for a long time, but it just seems very convenient that that happened and now he's brought this out. People might have been questioning his integrity a little bit, feel selling out, and then he just drops this bomb and it's just... I, I, I'm sure the, the word we use a lot is incredible, but it truly is. Like his skill, yeah. his mind is astounding. Like He's a, he's a bit of a genius, yeah. yeah See, he, yep. Even with that Louis Arad um, piece that he, he collaborated with them on, I, I thought that was I thought that was nice because all of a sudden you've got a more accessible watch that Viani has something to do with, and so people that can't afford his yeah brings the usual pieces of you know yeah yeah I think Roman purchased one didn't he he did one of our one of our fifth risk guys purchased one of the Louis Arad ones um, yeah I think I'll hold my uh, reservations to look at it in the flesh but it's it looks quite well done it yeah. does and it's got a, it's, i just like the design of it yeah it's it's i, I think it's nice so louis, louis rudd just i think they needed a a little bit of a pick-me-up too and he's he's done that for them i think definitely with that with that addition yeah exactly exactly yep and it could be who knows, that could be the that could be the uh Give me the sleep deprivations kicking in. The um, <laughs> the, the entryway for someone to actually bite the bullet and completely. Yep, that could be their the first one for someone. Yep, yeah. not many people go into watch uh, watch collecting and and buy something that's like a Defour or a 
or a Vudalainen first off. Like I, I don't know, I don't know if anyone does. Maybe there are some people that do it, but I, I just don't think that happens. I think people start off small. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, yeah, the white tag or you know that. The... Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've had a good chat. This is this is getting close to a record-breaking time on on a Fifthris <laughs> podcast. The last time we did something like this was me, Rob, and John, and we went for. Over three hours, and Over three. I was really supply, surprised to to find out when we released it that people actually listened to the entire thing on the on the first oh, day. Yeah. So, yeah, it was incredible. So, um, what was the record? Yeah, look, can you mention what's that? Or did you have to do that off the record? What's that? The uh, how many downloads or whatever it was in the first day? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I was talking about the record of time. I like the the like the longest podcast. Oh, it was it, but people also didn't listen to it just once either. They actually went over it again. I've yeah, it half a dozen times myself. Even you, yep. <laughs> exactly, and you were on. Well, Rob had a lot of information in there about uh, finishing when he was at Audemars Piquet. He did, yeah. yeah. And it's it's like you forget it and you go back and and it's, yeah. yeah, it was um, there was a, yeah, that was a great episode too. It was, it was. We had a great time. <laughs> yep. And then we and then we stopped recording. And we kept talking for another 20 minutes afterwards, something like that. It was just, yeah. Yep. But anyway, um, Henrik, um, we want to thank you for coming on finally. It's been like it's, you're one of those guests that I was just like, I've got to have Henrik on at some stage. I've, there's, there's a few people that I've got in mind that it's like they have to come on at some stage. I'd love to sit down and let people listen to them talk. And one of my best friends, and yeah, that's another reason. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And oh, thank you for having me it was really great. Yeah. And um, everyone everyone can go follow Henrik at Henrik Corpella uh, on Instagram or his school at KHWCC underscore official. Um, go check out those two, two Instagram links and follow. And go follow John at john.ryan.cowley. Um, and you can follow me at Woods Watchmaking. Um, follow Fifth Wrist on Instagram. You know, go review your watch if you feel like it. We've got a good, a, a really nice reviewing system on there. The reviews are some of the reviews are fantastic, actually. Really, really interesting reviews. Um, if you want to join the Slack group to enter into some interesting conversation as much as you feel like, um, email us at contact at fifthwrist dot com, um, and we can help you join the Slack group. Otherwise, um, thanks, John, for co-hosting. And, yeah, once again, Henrik, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, All right. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Henrik. It was great to chat with you. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, look look forward to to see what the students do over the coming courses. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, your project. project. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so just stay yeah. on, stay on after we stop recording, Henrik, and we'll make sure it all downloads. But yep, thanks for thanks for listening, everyone, and stay on time. <laughs>